0: Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary.
1: Well, hello, partygoers, and welcome to another episode of Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick,
0: and my name is Mary Dedrick,
1: and of course we are so pleased to see you here this week in the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party Rumpus Room. Here, uh, I guess, in glorious Sue Studio, where dreams come true. Right, Mar?
0: Sure. I mean, I'm sure that you do <laughs> spend a fair amount of time sleeping out here. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's not a lie. <laughs> I do occasionally nod off over the old work work table. Yeah, um, you are
0: you are oop. known for napping. <laughs> in a seated position.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm known for waking up with a crick in my neck. You know what's weird, Mary? I was just thinking this the other day. Is that when we first started doing Listening Party, mm-hmm. you weren't living at home. Yes, you were living away from home. Uh huh. And so I probably I wouldn't see you maybe for two weeks. as right. You know, because we did the show every two weeks, so mm-hmm. I might not see you for two weeks. So when I saw you, yeah. It'd be like, oh, Mary, it's great to see you. Let's yeah. sit down and talk, blah, blah, blah. But no, yeah, it's cause like. Yeah, because
0: we'd be like, you'd be like, okay, Mary, we're going to record at 7 and I'd show up at seven o one, And then as soon as the show's over, I'd leave.
1: <laughs> well, that's, yes, that's our loving relationship. Yeah, exactly. But now it's, we, you know, it's kind of like, it's just it's an extension of like every day now. Yeah. Where, you know, so we were d- just watching TV. Uh-huh and then we came outside.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we like had dinner together. Yeah, and talked and to chatted <laughs> and then we watched TV together and chatted and then now we're out right here and we're chatting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's like not not quite as special as it was when we first started doing the show. Wow. Not that it's not special Rude. always, but you know what I mean like yeah, before yeah, no, it was I like, it was like it's sort of extra special. Oh, we actually get to see each other and yak whereas mm-hmm. now you know, I-
0: yeah, without the the uh, interruptions from the rest of the family, am I right? <laughs> that's right.
1: They don't appreciate our brilliance.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah, they're not sort of delusional
0: enough to start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. People want to hear what we have to say, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought that was sort of. I was I was just driving along, thinking about that, as is my way. Hmm. When you think, when you think, do you think in words? Do you think in a voice in your head or do you think in pictures? Voice. You have a voice in your head. Yeah. So you're kind of having like a dialogue with yourself. Yes. Because there are apparently people out there, Mary. Who don't have that. Who don't have that. That's right. Who think in, and think in terms of images. Mm -hmm. Which is so hard to understand. Like, I I have a hard time contemplating that because I don't think that way, even though I'm a very image driven person. Mm -hmm. I do, I mean, I do think in images in the sense that I do have like, you know, if I have a drawing to do or something like that, you know, I have like, I'll have like an idea of that drawing in my head and then I'll try to, I'll vainly try to reproduce it right. on a piece of paper.
0: But yeah, I don't have that at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really bad at drawing. Yeah. But I also think, like, I also don't have a very good memory. And I think that those things are related. Oh, really? Where. Yeah. And, like, I'm also really bad at, like, recognizing faces.
1: You are terrible at that.
0: And I think that that's all sort of connected Mm. for me.
1: Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I know um, David M., a friend of the show, who one time commented on that, you know, to him. It was just, it was amazing to him that I was able to, like, think of a drawing and then just draw it, you know. Yeah. But, you know, obviously underselling, what I think is amazing is that he has, like, songs just sort of out of nowhere pop into his Mm -hmm. head. That he then has to like you know ignore or write down, yeah, you know I when he went through a period in his late thirties, early forties, maybe where he actively didn't want to write songs anymore hmm. and like was rejecting music as a as a thing, as yeah, a, you know. And I remember I remember he named a song A Toy for Goats because he didn't want to write it. <laughs> and he just kind of was insulting the song.
0: I think that's a great name for <laughs> a song. A Toy for Goats. Yeah. It's fun.
1: And which I just find amazing, like the idea that you just sort of unwillingly start writing songs. But I guess it's the same with, you know, drawing. You unwillingly think of images and then, you know, you feel compelled or not compelled to, mm-hmm. to draw them.
0: Yeah, I used to do that all the time with, like, story ideas. Yeah. When I was younger. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, you're a really good writer. So, yeah, it was... I. if I,
0: well, no, I was just. You know, I. I. I just. I, I. Don't do that anymore. Yeah. Which. It's a. Pra-
1: it's a practical. It's a thing you have to practice. Yeah. At, you
0: know? Well, yeah. Like I used to take. I was in creative writing for two years mm-hmm. in school, and I used to do that all the time. Yeah. Um. And like I did nano twice. Mm-hmm. I like won. I like completed it once. I wrote like a fifty thousand word book or wow. whatever. Yeah. Um.
1: Didn't let me read it.
0: No, it was not very good. I wrote it <laughs> in a month. You know, yeah,
1: yeah, it's NaNoWriMo,
0: For anyone who doesn't know, is na- National? Na- National November Writing Month.
1: I think it's Novel Writing Month.
0: Yeah, sorry, National Novel Writing Month, but it's in November. Yeah, and so over that period of time, you like create like a goal mm-hmm. of however many words. It's generally fifty thousand, but it can be like more or less. Um, and then you like do that in the month of November, right? 50,000 words. Mm-hmm. So I did that one year, but I only, um, started partway through the month. So I like, didn't get very far. Yeah. Um, and then the next year I did it and like started planning ahead of time and then like started and then did it. and.
1: Oh, wow, that's good. Did you have like an outline or just sort of a general sense? Just
0: a general idea. Okay. Yeah. But I like had sort of like. Plotted out kind of what I wanted to happen, Mm -hmm. and I had like my characters and my sort of world created. Sure, sure, yeah.
1: I imagine very Tamora Pierce orientated.
0: No, at that time I was more reading sort of like YA kind of stuff, so it was more it was like more that sort of like teen teen drama. Yeah, like the teen like angsty teen (laughs) stuff, right? (laughs) That's great. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure it was (laughs) terrible though. I don't even remember.
1: Uh, well, you—you're you're no judge. I remember reading a story of yours, and I was like, so amazed at your characterization, and you just were like, you couldn't—you couldn't see what I liked about it.
0: I did have you a know. poem published in a book once. Well, yes, that's
1: right, you did. So, so that's something. Yeah, published author over here.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I just need to start practicing again. Right? For sure.
1: But I mean, when I was a teenager, when I started, you know, writing sketches, which I actually, start, yeah, I started in like, I guess, seriously, in grade seven. Like trying to think of funny sketches and Mm -hmm. writing them and and writing them down, and you know, once when you're practicing in that way, you are actively thinking about, you know, funny ideas for sketches, and then you just naturally think of them over time. I mean, if that's how you're like, you know, is that way your mind is working? Yeah, you're, you know, you're thinking, you're looking for funny ideas, or you're thinking of them, and so, you know, you just they just kind of pop into your head, and you're like, oh, that's a that's a good idea for a sketch, and you just write it out. You know, but I haven't done that for a long time. And so that doesn't, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, you don't, I don't have those
0: muscles anymore. Those, I guess. Yeah, those
1: brain muscles are gone, you know. And kind of like when I was doing the title cards for Sneaky Dragon, you know, I would do the show with Ian and then I'd be driving home thinking to myself, what am I possibly going to do <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. a title card this weekend? Yeah. Oh, I have no ideas at all. And then, you know, something would just pop in my head. I'd mm-hmm. be thinking about what we talked about in the show. And, you know, and then, all right, sometimes I have like an idea that I want to do. Like today, we're. Recording this a little late, later than I'm going to do. This is it's May fourth today, so it's uh, Star Wars Day or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so May I, the
0: fourth be with you.
1: Thank you, uh, and also with you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and when I when um I just decided to post this old title card I did of of a of one of my favorite Star Wars posters yeah. that I had when I was a kid. And that idea to draw that was I th- think I thought of it like. In the first year of this of doing uh, Sneaky Dragon, yeah, but I didn't I didn't get to dr- do it until uh, episode two hundred and four. Oh, okay. And so I think I just didn't have enough confidence mm. in myself, mm-hmm. and also I had a different working method when I first started doing it, which was the title card had to be finished before I posted the show, right? And eventually, I had to like kind of cha- change that because I was pushing the show later and later mm. to try to finish <laughs> these really complicated title yeah. cards, and I think. That wasn't even like done in a weekend, which was normally my working method, was yeah. to try and finish in a week. I think it took like basically a week, right. like, a, you know, of the work week to yeah. like finish all these little details and stuff like that that I, that I decided to do. It was just a crazy, silly, <laughs> overly, overly ambitious thing.
0: But, but I mean, but... something like that, like, because I mean, Sneaky Dragon, yeah. it's fun, right? It's not like a job. It's it's just like a thing that you do for fun. Yeah. And the title cards, even more than that, are something that you do for fun. Yeah. So like if, if it's if it's not fun anymore, then it doesn't make sense to keep doing it.
1: Oh, I, I still would like to do them. I just yeah. I haven't had a lot of but
2: time. But I mean,
0: like if it yeah, that's well that's the thing, right? Like yeah. you couldn't do it right now because you're working like a full time forty hour a week job yeah. and also doing all the coloring for sparks for the third one. <laughs> yeah. And then you're also doing like a bunch of podcasts. Yeah. You can't do all that, all that, like with the title card. I mean, like already all that is yeah. too much.
1: It's not too much, but yes, it's it is. a lot.
0: <laughs> um, and then all the title cards on top of that would just be like way, way too much. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's silly. Yeah. No, weekends are for coloring. I just can't, I can't afford to take 16 hours of my, my weekend and turn that into a title card time. Yeah. Wednesday mm though.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean like when it's, when it's fun, right? Like yeah. it doesn't have to be a chore. Just something that you like doing, then you do it.
1: Well, what's hard though, is once you stop doing something, it's really hard to start it again.
0: Yes, that's true.
1: Because, you know, you, before that time you created like this, you know, even if it's supposed to be fun, you still create like this pressure on yourself that there has to be a title card every week.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you
1: have to get it done. Yeah. No matter what. So even if it's garbage, you got to get the title card done and out there. And, you know, so you do that and you're just like, you know, clockwork regular every week. That's And then when you stop doing, if you stop doing it. It's hard to get back to it again, right? Because yeah. you've broken that, that habit, you mm-hmm. know, and you've taken away that, that hammer from yourself. When I need a hammer to, to, do, to do work. Uh, you've taken away that hammer of like, you know, once a week you do this thing and if you don't, yeah. you're going to die or whatever, you know.
0: Well, that's unhealthy.
1: People are going to be so disappointed. That's
0: unhealthy.
1: Man, I, I got three likes last week for the one I posted, so all three of those people are going to be so disappointed when they don't see the, the, the <laughs> new one. So yeah, it's, uh, anyway, I don't even know how I got on that topic. Anyway, we wandered. Star right? Wars Day? We wandered. Star Wars Day. I was just thinking about, yeah, I was just talking about the title cards and just thinking about how how your how your mind works and stuff like that. But anyway, oh, that's right. Back to the idea of people who think in terms of images. Because I was thinking about this. I was eating, I Me, mean, even I were eating dinner the other night, last night, I guess, by ourselves. You You weren't home yet?
0: No. I got I- home late last night.
1: And mom was mom was away as well. So it was just even I eating. And we had this long, silent part of the di- the con- dinner where I was just having like this major philosophical conversation in my mind.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I just started on some dumb topic and then it just like took this weird turn and I was having this, these big, deep thoughts. And then I was thinking, how would you do those sort of thoughts in images? Like how would you think philosophically? Yeah, I don't know. In images, it'd be weird. But I imagine you can. Like I'm sure a person who thinks that way does. Mm-hmm. Just as they would be baffled by how you could like understand what you're thinking if you only have words yeah. and there's not any images to accompany yes. them. Yes. You know? So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, it's like a weird block, like a weird block between different people. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to not understand how we, as we have a hard enough time getting along, let's just add a whole new <laughs> layer of misunderstanding. <laughs> it's just interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Well, anyway, I don't know hey, we got onto this conversation somehow. That's okay though. That's fine, right? Yep. We can talk about whatever we want. And sure. So we're the hosts.
0: Yeah, that's true. So. One of my favorite episodes of my brother, my brother and me, mm-hmm. which is a um, like an advice podcast ostensibly, uh, was an episode where they just like didn't answer any questions. They just like talked. <laughs> like they like sometimes their intros go on kind of kind of long, but like there yeah. was fun. Yeah. Um, and then they just like kept going, <laughs> and they were like, "Uh, like we're halfway through the episode. Should we start answering some questions?" And one brother was like, "No," <laughs> and they just didn't. Yeah, yeah. But like, there were some really fun conversations that came out of that. Sure. Like, um, to steal a story from another podcast. Uh oh. One of the brothers was talking about a time when he was like sixteen or something, and he had a girlfriend who had always wanted to get um, her nose pierced, and so for her birthday,
2: yeah,
0: he. Like, like blindfolded her and brought her to a piercing place. Yeah, and was like, now you can get your nose pierced. <laughs> he said there was like a girlfriend-shaped cloud of dust. <laughs> <in> the...
1: <laughs> yeah, you can't make that choice for people. No,
0: no you cannot.
1: But there's just something like that where obviously this person talks about it a lot because they ha- they're really trying to like gear themselves up to yeah. To do this thing, and then you decide you're going to do it for them. Yeah. I really need to take driving lessons. Hey, guess what? I bought you driving lessons.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, yeah, like, I recently got a tattoo, and i had been thinking about doing that for, like, probably, like, five or six years. Yeah. Um, But if someone else had been like, hey, I booked a tattoo session for you, I'd be like, well, why'd you do that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. What I'm, I, don't, I can't do... Well, no. <laughs> I have the vapors. Yes. Need to lie down. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well... But you did it. I did. I can't say I'm entirely, I approve of, of your face tattoo, but.
0: <laughs> well, you know. Solely up to you. I mean, it's fair because it is your banking information. <laughs> And I know it's been hard, but it's just, it was really I, passionate to me.
1: <laughs> it's true. I was going to make a joke that you had half your face was tattooed with Hervé of Chris played Tattoo on Fantasy Island. So.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: But it, that would only only be amusing to... Yeah, it would only be to amusing to, to you,
0: I think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. That's why I, I preferred your banking information. More. Yeah, it's thank better. You. It's more, more. It's more uh, universal.
0: Yes, definitely. Thank you for that. Except for people who don't know what banks are. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <That's> right. <laughs> people who wait
0: only deal in cryptocurrency.
1: Oh, I was gonna say. Well, wait, what does this have to do with mattresses? But, <laughs> what does
0: this have yeah, to do cr- with rivers? <laughs> cryptocurrency.
1: Yeah, those people. Those smart people.
0: <laughs> yeah, trust Elon Musk. He's definitely not going to lead you astray. Anyway, <laughs> Dad, should we start listening to music?
1: Let's just start listening to music. Let's not get on to philokadic villains. Okay. Mayor. hmm This is-, is a new tape mix.
0: Who's it for? Tape
1: mix Who's it for? This is for Trevor Lynn, who, like many people, not necessarily a fan of Sneaky Dragon, but a fan of com- Completely Beatles. Right. And of course, I, I extended the, this offer to Completely Beatles fans, which was, thinking about it now was Foolish. Very foolish, but why? Well, just because there's way more completely Beatles listeners than there are Sneaky Dragon listeners. Mm. So I was really like <laughs> looking for inundation. Fortunately, I did it on the Facebook page. Yes, where we have like thousands of likes on there. Mm-hmm. But I think only like three of those people have actually ever listened to Completely Beatles. Right. There's been instances where we've like referenced ourselves, and people are yeah. like, "Who's Dave Dedrick?" Right. They're like, well, what are you on this page for? Yeah. Oh, I said the Beatles.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, the other um, thing—not to like brag or anything. Yeah. But I'm I'm the. I'm an admin for a Facebook group. Yeah. Which I think we just had three thousand likes, which is not a lot in the grand scheme of Facebook groups, but it is a lot to manage. Sure. Um, but like when a post. When something gets posted on there, yeah. it's not like everyone in the group sees it, right? Just because of the way the Facebook algorithm mm, works yeah. is you might, like, it depends on how much you interact with the group, mm. um, that it shows up on your home, home, homepage or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, if you interact with a lot, they'll show you more of it. If you don't interact with it very much, then they probably won't. Mm. Um, and you have to, you don't have to just, like it, you also have to follow it. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think, so, like, you have to do sort of both of those things to see them in your feed, yeah. whereas you have to actively search out the page and look through to see those kinds of things.
1: That's just because Facebook wants you to pay for, for promotional. Yes. Parts. For
0: pages, they do groups are a bit different groups mm. are like, a kind of new Facebook thing. They kind of revitalized Facebook, which was kind of on the, uh, I don't know, dying. It was dying for a little bit there, but now it's sort of come back with groups. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, so... So yes, Trevor sent me a uh, CDR, and actually he sent me one for myself, and we'll talk about that next next episode because I didn't prepare anything for that. For that. So we'll we'll talk about it next time.
0: Dad, you just his... pretend we're professionals. His... You should have just said that you wanted it to, wanted to do it that way.
1: I wanted to do it that way. That's right. That wasn't that I was too busy to think about that. No, And just popped into my head now. So so yeah. So I sent him a CDR, and for whatever reason, I don't think it was intentional. Maybe it was because I was getting so near the end of this project. I feel like this is a pretty wacky <laughs> mixtape. So, well, listen listen to it. And do you tell me, you can tell me what Yeah, what maybe you, you were
0: running out of songs.
1: I wasn't running out of, I mean, I wasn't, I don't no, feel I like just, I was running out of songs. I was joking. You okay. have
0: <laughs> approximately a billion songs in your library. But I,
1: it wasn't that I was running out of songs, but maybe I was just... I just had some songs that I wanted to get out of my system, and and there's a couple that I just kind of heard around this time period, and I was like super enthusiastic. You were like, for sure, them. I'll throw them
0: on there. I mean, I yeah. think I think I I, w- I was joking by saying you're running out of songs. Yeah, but I think that you might have been getting to a point where you're like, oh, I've had so much Sloan, I've had so much <laughs> yeah. Field Music, I've had so much Local Rabbits. Yeah, yeah. Like I shouldn't put this on this one, even though. Right? Yeah. Like, you're sending them all to different people. Yeah, yeah. So they're not calling each other up like, oh, did you get a Sloan song from Dave too? Ugh. Get out of here, Canadian alt rock or whatever. Um, but like... You can blame them. Uh, I I would blame them. It's <laughs> silly. A Sloan song is a gift. Um, um.
1: But, so you feel like I was starting to...
0: Really you were starting you were starting to feel burnt out on some of the artists that you had been overusing. Yeah. yeah. Who are often sort of your go to with mixes mm-hmm. and who are sort of like maybe ones that would sort of be a bit more like normal yeah, okay. sort of standard. I think that Sloan has a lot of like Beatles influence mm-hmm. and stuff. So like putting that onto something is like a very safe option. Yeah. But maybe you were kind of past the point of <laughs> being like, Oh, I can put Sloan on here. You yeah,
1: know? yeah no i mean i i I said near the beginning of this project that I had made a rule that I'd only use a band three times, but I feel like that wasn't the case that no I, I
0: use field music way more. I use
1: field music a ton and I use Sloan a lot, too, yeah, and local rabbits, yeah. you know I mean basically I had like a I had like a set of songs in my head that I wanted people to hear, and so i used i put those songs on, yeah, you know. And like I said, like two the two kind of songs that started this whole thing. One was "One Ring Jane" by Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck, mm-hmm. which has been on a mixtape. And then uh, "She's a Soldier Boy" by the New Generation by the band Soldier Boy. <laughs> by... Or the
0: sorry, the musical artist Soldier Boy. Soldier
1: Boy, that's right. Uh, by New Generation, those were too so weird. St-
0: how he always has to have his his name <laughs> in, a in a song. his songs. Yeah. He's got Soldier Boy Tell Him. That's right. And then he's got that other one that you just mentioned that I've already forgotten the name of. <laughs> Of my great soldier boy joke,
1: soldier boy of love, as well,
0: of course, right? Yes, one. of course, Classic of one, yeah. course. Yeah, I
1: think it's Arthur Alexander, but no, that was that was soldier boy. I
0: mm-hmm. know uh, it was just real, it was just announced that Jensen Ackles on the new new series of The Boys, yeah, for the next season, of The Boys is going to be playing soldier boy, soldier boy, which yeah. I think is kind of you know weird, uncomfortable with I the you know, Jensen's would, pretty white, he's
1: white, yeah, so I don't know, again. I don't know
0: how they're going to handle that, but uh, <laughs> we'll see, you know. Yeah.
1: Hopefully in as much an Uncle Sambo way as possible. I mean, an Uncle Rastus way as possible.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah.
1: that's the, We can the, only hope. That's the best way to go. Yeah. Oh, L. definitely. So absolutely. Yeah. Kind of do L Jolson it up yeah, as much as no, possible. For
0: sure. For sure. For sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> go the safe route, guys. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, those songs were like... So, I had like this kind of set of so- songs in my mind. Like, you know, I have to get these Sloan songs on. I have to get these Local Rabbit songs on. So, once that I got through those songs, then I was just kind of like, oh, well, I've, everyone... <laughs> Everyone's heard what I really wanted to put out there, so now I got to think about you know other songs and and you know so I was I would when I was at the gym I would listen, I'd be listening to music and then when a song came on that I liked I would I would write it down into this memo pro app I had on my phone which unfortunately died when the phone died so I lost this huge treasure trove of of songs that I had made notes I noted that it would be good for mixtapes so that that whole resource has gone to the wind so it's too, it's really stinks i should have used a more you know one that was sort of more cross-platform like google docs or something like that but anywho hindsight
0: um may i make a correction sure can soldier boy tell Him is not a song yeah it was an album okay. and is also i guess something it's like a, a another name or another thing that he like that's like his technically his full rapper name is soldier boy tell Him. okay and then but Soldier Boy is sort of like a shortened version. Yeah, but I think the song I was thinking of was Crank That. Bracket Soldier Boy and Bracket. Okay, and he also has one called Soldier Girl. Ah. Anyway.
1: Good. Good for him to be, you know, so inclusive.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, you know, you got appreciate that. You got to have your next single be Soldier Girl if your first one featured was (laughs) about Soldier Boy, right? That's why. He's Soldier Boy is looking for a Soldier Girl. Exactly. Yeah.
1: That's why that song, uh, Skeeter Boy, by. uh... That singer whose name is just gone out of my head, the Canadian singer. You know who I'm talking about?
0: No, sorry, S- say it again. S- Sk- Skater Boy. Oh, Avril Lavigne.
1: Avril Lavigne, that's right. Yes. That's why her next song was Skater Girl. Mm hmm. Because that, you know, have to be inclusive.
0: Mm hmm. I, I was just like a. I was pretty young, I think, when Soldier Boy came out. Or, I mean, sorry, Crank That, Bracket Soldier Boy, and Bracket. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mostly remember it from popular YouTube videos at the time.
1: Wasn't there a song by Train called Soldier Girl or something like that? Wasn't there a song at, like, it's like a ukulele, one of those ukulele songs that came out of nowhere in the in the in the uh, naughties and you're like, "What the hell's going on with people?" It's kind of like banjo songs in the in the 70s, for whatever reason. People suddenly thought it was a great idea to use banjos. I guess it was a reaction to like hard rock music. Are you looking up Train's discography? I mean, song. I looked
0: up Train Soldier Boy, yeah. and the first thing I got was the Boys Wiki. No, On Phantom.com. No. I don't no, think I, that's cause right. No,
1: because the phone's been listening to what you've been watching. Yeah no it was maybe it wasn't so maybe it wasn't soldier but i thought it was like
0: yeah i think my phone knows that i've been watching um been watching <laughs> the boy rewatching the boys because it's yeah. like homelander slash soldier boy soldier boy versus homelander is soldier boy comma a good guy
1: okay that's not just, no spoilers this
0: i don't know i don't know if he is or not
1: well I, no but i don't i don't even want to I... hear that stuff just uh, what do i want to talk about this train song okay well you look that up Mary. let's play our first song then so um so yeah, so our first song, while Mary looks up, we we got to get to the bottom of this whole soldier thing. So um, while Mary does that, we were we will play our first song. This is Calexico from their 2003 album Feast of Wire, and the song is called Not Even Stevie Nicks.
0: You're not thinking of Hey Soul Sister, are you? Oh, that's what
1: I was thinking You're of. You're thinking
0: Sorry. of Hey Soul Sister? Yeah, that's what I was thinking oh, of. Oh, that's yeah. a song everyone on the planet knows. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know it. I just don't know the name of it.
0: No, I just, I just didn't realize that was the one that you were referencing. Okay. You should have sung a bit of it.
1: Hey, soul sister. <laughs> no, it's not,
0: it's not <laughs> it. That's okay. Know. That's all right. You don't think in music. We've established this. It was
1: a it was a ukulele song though. Was it? Yeah. Hmm. Anywho, so let's listen to "Not Even Steven" Nicks by Calexico. All right, Dad. Let's oh.
0: put on um, "Hey, Soul Sister" <laughs> yeah. by uh, by the band Train. He Came yes. out in two thousand nine. Yeah. Um. Let's hear it.
1: No, no. This is gonna be Colexico.
0: Oh, oh, okay, okay. Sorry, yeah. (laughs) Clexico. Guess we'll play your music.
1: (laughs) Not even Stevie Nicks from "Piece of Wire." Uh, This is from 2003. Here we go, everyone. Back, a
0: uh-huh.
1: Uh huh. One time, I accidentally saw a Train in concert.
0: It was like a train. You like looked <laughs> out the window and there was a train. a <laughs>
1: train. By? I went. What beautiful music! <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, the the band Train. Okay. I saw them perform live at the Gorge in in Oregon. What year? Oh my gosh! It was just after 9-11 because we had oh. to wait six hours at the border to cross the border. Oh and really? Go, go to a concert. Holy yeah. moly! Your mom. Well, a friend of your mom's decided she wanted to go see Matchbox 20. Okay. Who I didn't know. Right. Because, you know, they're radio bands. Yes. And so and so I said, well, I'll come along. That sounds kind of fun. And so suddenly it became like three different couples decided to go down to, to see this group. Right. So we all drove in our own cars down to to the uh, the gorge in, in Washington. Or in Washington. In, in uh, No, I guess it's in Washington. I said it was in Oregon. No, it's in Washington. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful natural amphitheater by a river. And so you sit in this natural bowl and the stage is based down in the bottom and right, right by the river. So it's this, it's a very kind of arid region of, of Washington state. Okay. A lot of farms, a lot of alfalfa farms and stuff Mm -hmm. down there. And so it's this, the Columbia river. And then you sitting on a, a hill looking down on this band. And it's like I say, it's spectacular. So your mom and I, though, when we were driving down there, we got into a huge traffic jam in Seattle and our friends like did this crazy maneuver where they zipped out of the slow lane we were stuck in and they just they just like like forced their way into the fast lane and they just took off and then i being more uh less less of a i don't know less daring driver i did not do that so we had to like kind of you know bumper crawl our yeah. way through, through Seattle and we finally got onto the open road and we carried on down and then, as we were driving, we saw this beautiful sculpt- sculpture of horses up on this hillside. Cool. So we went up there to look at them. Yeah. They weren't quite as impressive close up, right? Because their horsiness wasn't quite as obvious, because <laughs> they're really big, right? And so when you got up there, they're just like these pieces of metal, yeah. You know, but when you're down below, they look like these, right? You know, horses like you know wild horses running. Yeah. It was quite. It was quite spectacular, but it was, but they're really big, and so then we drove back down and we continued on. And We wound our way. We got down to the to the gorge. And we walked around looking for our friends, mm-hmm. but we couldn't find them anywhere. Right. And now somehow in their minds, they got this idea that we didn't have a tent, which we did. We had a tent. We had borrowed a tent from, from your uncle. And so we had set it up, mm-hmm. got everything all ready. And, you know, just, and so we walked around looking for our friends. We couldn't find them anywhere. and yeah. Because it was quite a big campground for, right. You know, by the, right by this big festival concert going place. So then we, we walked across. We thought, well, maybe we'll see them at the show. So we go walking across, and we we sat right by the entrance. Yeah. So that if they came in, we would see them. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting there, and we you know we're there for about forty five minutes, and 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 then this man came up to us, and he says, "I have two tickets for the front row. Yeah. And I I need to get rid of them if you want them. And of course, I was like, I don't want to pay more to see Matchbox i so I've already yeah. paid to see a band. I don't even yeah. know who they are, and I don't want to pay any more for this thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But the guy's like, so I was like, well like how much are they? And he's like, "Oh no, nothing, this is free." Oh. I'm like, "Oh, okay. Sure." So he just gave us these tickets. Yeah. So we went down and we sat like right in the front row cool. of this concert, uh right in these nice seats.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and so, unfortunately, then our friends were like sitting on, you know,
0: in the nosebleeds on their
1: bums uh in uh, in the rocks above us. So yeah. we were, like had these beautiful seats and stuff like that. And so we wa- I can't remember who we saw. There was Pete Zorn. Okay. Uh, Pete Yorn. Okay. Pete Yorn. Yeah. Was it like the opening act, and then Train, and then Matchbox Twenty? So the Pete Yorn was okay. Is this fine? Whatever. Matchbox Twenty didn't enjoy that at all. But Train were really good. Like really good live. And I never even heard of them before. But I really thought like as a group, they really like had a great stage presentation and great. The singer was really charismatic, and they put on a really good show. Like it was really good. So I've always kind of had like a a soft spot for them. I've actually never bought an album by them, but I thought like their song. Is it Drops of Jupiter or something like that? Yep. It was very popular, and it was, I thought that was very good, and a very good live. Hmm. And I really liked them. Needless to say, when we finally caught up with our friends the next day, they were not happy with us. <laughs> because yeah. Because I guess we confused them by making them think we didn't have a tent, so they're, they're trying to find, like, right. a spot without a tent, whereas we were, like, in our tent. Yeah. And the only problem was at night, we like pumped up this air mattress thing, mm-hmm. which I have to admit, I only did like halfway because oh, it was well, like too much problem. to do. It was too much to do. Yeah. And it lost air overnight. Yeah. So it went from like, if you moved, you'd feel the rocks. Yeah. To you're, you're just, just laying on the rocks. So you should
0: have to fill those up all the way.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't have like a pump. So I was blowing oh, it up by, my, by, by...
0: That's your other mistake. See, yeah. Duncan did that with a little boat from Canadian Tire. Okay. Which they're like, here's the boat and yeah. here's the pump. Yeah. You buy it separately. You need to buy it. He yeah. was like, eh, it's fine. I'll just blow it up with my mouth. And then like, it's a boat, right? It was just like a little a like one person dinghy. Yeah, yeah. But he was like, oh, he's like, this is fine. I know. <laughs> I love <laughed> swords. <laughs> he's trying to go. F- he's trying to go fishing in this, little- this like little lake we found he's like, he's like what? he had like one paddle, because he was like being cheap, so he just bought like the one paddle, and yeah, he's yeah. got this like stupid little blow-up dinghy that's like, weight limit, like oh, 200 pounds or 150 pounds, yeah, yeah. and I was like, I don't know about this, and, uh, and I was like sitting, I was like sitting in my like chair on the shore just reading my book, and he's yeah. out there, he didn't get very far because he only had one paddle, and then the boat like. It was like basically like a V in the water because it didn't have any air in it. He's like like sitting in the water and he's trying to paddle. He's like on the ones who's going in a circle.
1: It's not that funny, Mary. Uh. I don't think you've ever tried to blow up anything with your mouth. It's a lot of work.
0: No, I know it is. That's oh where you should
1: at the pump. And we had two airbags that I was supposed to blow up. And I, so I got, I got like through halfway through the first one. I was yeah. like, this is good enough. We can share one. Yeah. This nope. is no way I can nope. bl- blow up two. I would have been dead.
0: Yeah. Well, now they have self inflating ones. That's what ours are. Mm. They're handy.
1: I just have a self inflating ego. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, Mary, what did you think of uh, Clexico?
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of took well, it kind of off. I, I didn't think it was as good as the song, Hey Soul Sister by Train. <laughs> Get out of here. Um, but I, I thought it was a good song. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the guitar, I like the singing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, re- I really like the song. I think it's uh, it's it's a kind of a weird song, but I really like how it's put together. Like, mm, so, yeah. And, uh, and you know, it mentions Stevie Nicks in the title. Although I don't know if it mentions her in the song. Like, it feels like the song is talking about uh, some kind of mysterious woman who's like, has some sort of power.
0: Stevie Nicks. But that, that sounds st- like Stevie Nicks. I guess that's
1: Stevie Nicks, like she kind of plays the witchy woman on stage with all her scarves and twirling around and stuff yeah. like that, you know, and her perma, perma, perm
0: Haven't you seen uh, School of Rock? Mm-hmm. Isn't that Stevie Nicks? Who, um, is it Joan? Joan Cusack. Joan Cusack's character. Oh, loves that's Stevie right. Nicks?
1: She's she's her weakness is yeah. Stevie Nicks. <laughs> that's great. That's really great. Yeah. Um. So, Colexico, once again, pretty. Even though they've been around a while, this is from 2003, they've been around for quite a while. They, they, basically two guys make up the band. This guy named John Convertino and another guy named Joey Burns. And basically they were both playing together. Convertino first, and then Joey Burns joined Howie Galb's band, Giant Sand. And so they played with that group for a while. Then they formed another group called, it's called the Friends of Dean Martin. A later change, cruners. later changed to friends of Dean Martinez. I guess. Okay. I guess the Dean Martin estate objected. Huh. But, um, they filmed in front with another guy. Yeah,
0: because they were actually enemies of Dean Martin.
1: They were. Yeah. Yes, that's right. They were. They were actually friends.
0: No, they were enemies.
1: It was frenemies. The frenemies. Mor- no, of Dean not Martin.
0: even frenemies. Oh. mortal enemies.
1: My <laughs> oh, dear, well, that's a problem. I guess that's why they changed it to exactly, Dean Martinez. They had to. They like Dean Martinez a lot yes. more. Yes. So I formed it with this guy named Bill Elm, and then they had a falling out with him, and so then they they spent some time like this is like a backing group backing other other artists like Victoria Williams and Richard Buckner, who we've played on the show, everyone. We played a song, Portrait, uh, and then they decided to form a band for the but for themselves, and they formed this band called Spoke, and then Spoke kind of it uh, became uh, Calexico. and uh, this is from their fir- their fourth album, which I think. Personally, I have a few other albums, and for some reason, I have I have a signed CD of this? I don't know how. I didn't get it signed myself. I just bought it used, and it oh, was, it was huh. signed.
0: I've had that happen with books before. Yeah, you get it used, and you open it up, and there's like a like artist or the author's name. Yeah, inside, and you're like, all right, sure, <laughs> I'll take it. Like, why not? I'm not gonna. I'm not complaining.
1: Sure, I have
0: a. I like. I don't think it adds any value to it or anything. No, but.
1: Probably not. I have a, um, I have a book. I think. Uh, Good as Gold, uh, the Joseph Heller book that's signed by Joseph Heller.
0: Okay, cool.
1: But the signature is, like, so horrible. Yeah. I was so reading I was reading a different book by him that he was talking about doing, like, basically he was, like, paid off to do that book by being promised a trip to the Caribbean. Oh, okay. And so he was, like, in Jamaica or someplace like that, on some nice island in the Caribbean. But all yeah. he could do... was right? ...was to sign
0: Oh, sign books. So he just yeah. had, like,
1: this giant crate of books that he had to sign. Oh, man. And so yeah,
0: of course the signature's not gonna be right good. Yeah,
1: it just gets worse and worse probably yeah. by the time he was like finished, it was just like two lines.
0: Mm-hmm. Well i I've so um <clears throat> I think I mentioned I might have mentioned this in the last episode. My book is the
1: three line stage.
0: Uh what do you mean?
1: He didn't quite got to the two lines. He oh still right. Had yes. a slight other line.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um so <clears throat> my I might have mentioned this in the last uh episode but i kick-started a um like a graphic novel okay so this guy does a web comic that i like mm-hmm. and um and like every year i think yeah i think every year for the past like 10 years he's done a kickstarter okay to like publish a bunch of a bunch of copies of it and then everyone who like backs it like you have different levels of backing sure, right sure. and you can pledge to get it yeah and i think the level that i've pledged Because I wanted the physical copy. Yeah. So I'm getting a physical copy of the most recent one, then also the first one, because I don't have any of them. Yeah. I'm like, I'll get there eventually. I mean, because he's reprinting the first one, I guess he's out or he's running out. Yeah. So he's reprinting the first one too. And so both of them, I'll have a signature. And then he also does like a sketch Mm. for a character in it. Mm -hmm. But there's a thousand people have backed it. Okay. So however many of those like did that level where you get the book and the the signature and the and the doodle. Mm-hmm. But I mean a bunch of people just got the PDF as well. So
1: I mean he's he's offered 1000 spots for that, right?
0: Oh, well, uh, so that's a 1000 total for the whole project. Oh, okay. It's like 1114 for the whole project. Mm. Um but yeah, he he will have like a limited amount for some of them. Yeah. But it's like 143 people did just the PDF. I did the 10 in 1. There's 18 people who did that one. Hmm. Um and then yeah, 30 31 people did the PDF, and then other stuff. Yeah, 233 people. So it'll be about maybe 500 people who will get the, um... Yeah. That. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? He has to make it available to to a certain amount. So... But I mean, it also, like, it's not... I don't think it's actually shipping until next January. Yeah. So, he's got time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, um, this is what I say about Piece of Wire, is Mm -hmm. that there's one song on the the album that it... it, uh, I used to have another song to go in this category, and I, I can't remember what, what it is, but it's. it's I, I've always wanted to try and figure out a top five, and maybe maybe folks out there can help me with this. Top five songs that should have been a James Bond theme. Oh, okay. Because this song, it's called Black Heart, which is one, a great name for a James Bond movie, right? Yes. Like, that'd be a cool name for, yeah, for a James Bond film. And the song itself. To me, it sounds like a James Bond theme, so I'm going to play it just because you know we're getting near the end of of our run of sh- shows, and so I really don't have any other other opportunity for to play songs that I like anymore. So <laughs> I'm just throwing them out here, everyone. So this is Black Heart by Calexico, from the once again from their 2003 album Feast of Wire, and this will go into my my top five if I could think of more songs to go in it. And I do have one other song, and I wish I wish I could remember what it was. I wish I lost my like I said I lost my lists. So I had a lot I had stuff on lists. but anyway, so this is top five songs that should have been James Bond theme. So this is Blackheart everyone. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go
4: Tap to the heart Can't find the poison Now I got no cure Fangs are stuck Just please, one man.
1: So that was, uh, I think that could have been a, like that. Sounded like a James Bond kind of theme song, don't you think?
0: Yeah, totally. Especially the, the very beginning of it. Yeah,
1: with a yeah. kind of the string. I think that the, that the
0: singing thing. was not so much, especially at the beginning. It's more, I of, think, it's
1: more of a modern kind of a.
0: Yeah, I think at the sound. end it got more there. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: You know, you maybe if you wanted to get like really like James Bond, you get someone else to sing it. But you know, but I think I think it still has like a, a cool kind of sound to it that would be suitable for. Yes, I agree. A James Bond film, and also. A Great name for a James Bond film, so James Bond folks get on that right away for thanks. Thank I appreciate it. All right, let's move on to our next song, dear. Our next okay song proper for what the next tape. What is it? This is the replacements.
0: Oh, I've heard of them.
1: Sure, you have.
0: Is it that song of theirs that they did that I know <laughs> that is called I Will Dare? Yeah, that one. It's, I will, it's not I Will Dare, it's no. not I Will Dare. No, it's not. Oh, okay, well,
1: <laughs> I know it's a It's weird when you don't choose the song that seems to be like the most popular song from an album, but sometimes, you know, you wanna you wanna like promote the deep cuts.
0: Yes. You just don't wanna do
1: the obvious stuff, you know, like you know, so if people wanna like check it out, they'll find they'll find those, you know, obvious tracks, but they might miss some of the deeper cuts. So this is from their best album, let's face it, let it be. Came out in nineteen eighty four. Great year, year I graduated from high school. And this song is favorite thing. So let's give it a listen everyone, here we go. Great, and we're back. And Mary, your thoughts, feelings, and thinkings are different than thoughts about favorite thing by The Replacements.
0: Uh, I thought it was fun. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. A pretty, pretty unconventional cover of my favorite things, um, <laughs> the Rogers and Hammerstein song. Yes, but yeah. Sure, why not? Sure, why not? You no know, not...
1: if John Coltrane could do a twenty five minute version of it,
0: yeah, why not? Why,
1: why couldn't uh, the replacements uh, yeah. shorten it a little bit? Make, sure, make it a little more palatable,
0: yeah, absolutely. twenty five minutes. I mean, i I also have a lot of favorite things, but i I'm not gonna delude myself into thinking people want to hear about it that much. If I say, well, I do a three hour long podcast. <laughs> Mary do you know much about the replacements? They're a band. gay. Okay. bunch of guys, usually. Usually,
1: I think most bands are guys. Well,
0: the replacements specifically, specifically, yes. Um, are they British?
1: No, they're not actually. Are they American? That's a second, good second guess.
0: <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> second place, not too bad. Uh, they are from the 80s, sure. That's what I know about the replacements. Okay,
1: well, that's pretty good though. So they're from Minnesota. I wouldn't have guessed that. Oh, really? They're from Minnesota, probably they... would
0: have been like my maybe 20th guess.
1: 20th. 20th guess, okay.
0: Probably. There's a lot of states.
1: There are a lot of states. 50 correct. of them. I don't
0: know if you know that. <laughs>
1: you're correct.
0: Not everyone does. 51 if you count Puerto Rico.
1: Yes. But you can't right now because it's not a state.
0: No, it's like a territory or something, but it is a part of the states. It's an estuary. So, I don't think that's true. <laughs> so I don't, think, it's I don't believe it's a river.
1: <laughs> uh, so actually the band formed in 1978. So your oh. whole 80s thing is right out the window, Mary.
0: Well... You know, so, basically, I did say that they were formed in the 80s, <laughs> so they were a band in the 80s it's or true. something like That's, that.
1: that. That was our heyday, yes, you're right. Yeah. Since I mentioned 1984, which is a good clue. Basically formed around two, two brothers. One was the 19-year-old Bob Stinson, and he gave his brother, Tommy Stinson, who was 11 years old at the time, gave him a bass as a way to keep him out of trouble. He thought, listen, if we're both playing music together we'll get in less trouble, which wasn't necessarily true. And then also another guy named Chris Mars became the drummer. So this was, they played together as a group called Dog Breath. and Bad name. <laughs> they were kind of a jam band doing a lot of classics at the time, Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, that kind of stuff, you know. And then Mars, who knew Paul Westerberg, this guy named Paul Westerberg, he invited him to come and jam with the group. And Westerberg would eventually join the group after chasing off a rival vocalist. He told they told this vocalist, you know what, the guys in the band don't like you very much. And this vocalist kind of left feeling feeling blue, and then Paul Westbrook stepped into the gap. You know, despite their kind of starting off as like this uh, you know, kind of uh jam band with you know roots and in, in you know he- British heavy metal or hard rock. They became really enamored with the first wave of British punk, you know, the clash and the sex pistols and stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. they changed their name to the impediments.
0: The that's a good band name.
1: Yeah, it's not bad. Um, But after a drunken and disastrous concert at a local church hall, they changed their name to The Replacements. Uh, The joke being that they would be The Replacements, replacement band for other bands that didn't show up for a concert. That's the only way they were going to get work.
0: (laughs) Uh,
1: But they recorded a four-song demo, which they gave to this guy named Peter Jesperson. going to
0: make a quick joke? Oh, sure. Uh, They named themselves The Replacements after um, the uh, Disney Channel TV show.
1: No, actually, after the Keanu Reeves film.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. That was, that was another possible joke.
1: <laughs> I went there, too. So yeah, they gave, they gave the date tape to this guy named Peter Jesperson, who was the manager of this very famous in Minneapolis record store. And it was one of those kind of record stores. It was sort of a used new record store. And it was like the only place in Minneapolis where you could get punk uh, singles and albums and stuff like that, or New Wave and stuff, you know. But they had, you know, they've been been around since er- the early 70s and the store was called Or Folk Jocopus. That was the name of the store. Mary's looking thoughtfully off into the distance.
0: I don't know if thoughtful is the right word. <laughs> okay. Confused. Puzzled. Sorry, so this store was named Opfockel?
1: <laughs> no, it was not named Opfockel. It was named Or.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Like an or you used to row a boat. Okay. And then Folk Jocopus. So... The story was named after two, two different records. One was or by Skip Spence, okay. formerly of Jefferson Airplane, formerly of of uh, Moby Grape. And then Folk Jokopus was mm-hmm. a album by a British folk musician, I guess they call him, Roy Harper. Okay. Who, if you were a young person of my era, you knew Roy Harper because on Led Zeppelin's is it on Physical Graffiti, everyone? Please remind me. I'm I'm, I'm confused if it was either on Led Zeppelin 3 or on, I think it's on Physical Graffiti. There's a song called Hats Off to Roy Harper because they were fans of Roy Harper. And so they wrote this They wrote this song called Hats Off to Roy Harper. And so you knew who he was. You just didn't know where you would like. You're just like, well, I know the name. I just don't know where, if I'll ever hear a song by him. But anyway, he had an album called Folk Jokopus. And so this guy who started the record store, he named them after these two albums, which I guess he really liked a lot. And, and so, yeah, so Peter Jesperson was a manager of this record store, but more importantly, he had founded a record label with some other guys called Twin Tone Records. And of course, you know, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota is, is a, one of the, it's a twin city, right? With St. Paul.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. The Twin Cities. That's I've right. I've heard that.
1: That's right. So they're like, they're j- separated by a river and joined by a bridge, but they're so close together, they're basically one city and they're just called the the Twin Cities. Right, huh. So Jesperson listened to this demo and he loved it and he called the band the next day offering to record. He said, listen, we can record a single or if you want, we can record an album. Like he was yeah. just so enthusiastic about what they were doing. They soon asked him to be their manager. I guess they just needed someone who could organize stuff for them. And so um, they spent about six months recording their first album. Basically not because of you know, any kind of their limitations. The problem was they were using off studio like t- time in the studio that wasn't being used. They were just kind of like you know, using downtime to record the album. Right. Because it was cheaper that way. Yeah. And so it took them a while to get it done. And then when they finished the album, Twin Tone Records couldn't afford to release it right away. So they had to wait uh, quite a few months before the album came out. So the label had some moolah to put into it. And what's interesting about the replacements to me is that like a lot of bands of that time period, you know, they kind of inspired by inspired by punk rock inspired you know first growing out of the classic rock era and then of course you rejected all that because you were you grew up and you now you're a teenager and you really want to like have your own identity yeah and so you grasp on to something that's new and like no one's heard it yet and the people do who have heard it are really angry about it punk rock yeah and so that's great and then this kind of scene grew up around that in the states was the hardcore scene right so you you took punk rock and you played it really fast you played it as fast as you could and so that became a thing. So there was either you're playing hardcore, which was punk, or you're playing speed metal, which was like a kind of a amped up heavy metal music. Right. And so those were these two kind of similar streams of just like male uh you know male an, uh, adrenaline being like, you know, hurtling it hurtling to to oblivion. But the interesting thing about the replacements to me is even though they embraced hardcore, they were never like a totally like pure hardcore band. And so when their first album, which is called Sorry Ma, Forgot to Take Out the Trash, there's this great song in there called Johnny's Gonna Die, which is about Johnny Thunders, who was played in the New York Dolls and then formed the Heartbreakers, and had one of the greatest album names of all time to me, which is L-A-M-F, lame-ass mofos. So they wrote this song called Johnny's Gonna Die, and it's going to play it now, but it's not hardcore at all. You know, and so it's kind of interesting, like, You know, here you are in the middle of this hardcore scene. Which, believe me, Mary, I was there, and so I know like how absolutely insanely puritanical it was, like in its in its like its idea of itself, you know? Right. And what was acceptable to play and what wasn't acceptable to play, and so it's interesting that they were doing music like this. So let's listen to Johnny's gonna die. This is from the replacements, 1981 album. Sorry, Ma, forgot to take out the trash, which is also one of the greatest album names of all time. It is good. And let's give it a listen. that was uh, The Replacements and Johnny's Gonna Die, which, like I say, was about Johnny Thunders, who was a heroin addict. So it uh, seemed like he seemed quite out of it at the time. And I guess The Replacements must... I don't think they opened for for him. I think they really wanted to, but the the gig went to to uh, their rival band, Husker Du, who were kind of friendly rivals of The Replacements in Minneapolis at that time, both bands, you know, kind of up-and-comers. And both had a huge impact in the 80s on, on, on music of that time period. Although Husker do were way more, you know, hardcore, like strictly hardcore than, than the replacements. But I do think it's kind of interesting that they did a song like that. When you say Mary, like, you know, in the midst of something, it kind of sort of the Puritanism of hardcore to do something like that, I think is pretty, pretty, uh, I don't know. It just kind of shows a guts anyway to. Yeah. Kind oh, of totally. Put yourself out there. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's hard when you're sort of. Like, it's hard to escape a genre.
1: Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. And so early on, they already were, like, kind of push, pushing the boundaries of what, what they were going to do. So that album came on. So then a new song by Westerberg so impressed uh, Jesperson that he begged his partners to release it, promising – he said he promised to hand-stamp the record jackets if necessary. <laughs> and so the band recorded an, an eight uh, song EP called Stink, which is actually, like, their most hardcore thing that they released – like, I think it's actually more hardcore than their first album, Sorry Ma, or their third album, Hoot Nanny. It's like right. It's like this, like, this, like all kind of this fast, really like hard, hard songs. Um, but as promised, Jesperson and everyone else that he knew hand stamped 10,000 copies of, of the, the album. If you look at good. it, it does like just have a cover, like a stink, like it just looks like it was been stamped by a, by a big rubber stamp. So I guess they really did hand, hand stamp it.
0: Wow. That's good.
1: But it was after the release of Stink that the band started to, like, intentionally distance itself from the hardcore scene. And like I say, there were friends with Husker Du who had put out this live album. Their first live album, came, which came out in 1982, was called Land Speed Record, which was, a refer- or, or, which was a reference to how fast they played. Like, they're just a super fast band. And they hewed much closer to the whole hardcore aesthetic than than the Matts did. Oh, by the way, if you're a fan of the replacements, you call them the Mats just because it was a mis- misspoken thing. Someone called them the placemats one time, and so oh. that became, like, the thing to call the group. So, yeah, so they had, like, you know, punk rock, but they'd also, like, before they were playing punk rock, they were playing, like most of these other bands, they were playing hard rock, they were playing power pop, and, you know, they loved Badfinger, they loved they loved uh, Led Zeppelin, you know, so yeah. those kind of things were part of their their makeup as well. So when they did their second album, which, which like I say, was called Hootenanny, which was released in 82, the band really began to incorporate other musical influences more obviously like blues country and rockabilly for certain but but other kind of more poppy elements as well including a parody of a very popular group in a song called mr whirly and i'm just gonna play that song now this is kind of a weird song i'm not gonna say this song is great i'm just gonna say it's kind of weird but i just <laughs> wanted to play it just so people could hear it. and i want you to guess everyone you will guess almost right away who who they were parodying And then you can be outraged on my behalf. So let's uh, give a listen, everybody. So that was the replacements with Mr. Whirly, and as you could, I'm sure everyone could hear the two songs they referenced here. One being Strawberry Fields Forever," and then quite a quite a quite a significant quotation of, of "Oh Darling," by both songs by the Beatles. So. Oh, yeah. outrage! How dare this group make <laughs> fun of such a band? What's funny is on the album, the song is credited to mostly stolen. It says so. That's you know, honest and fun. So, <laughs> now, their third release. Uh, their third album, I think, was actually the album where they band like really broke with the hardcore scene for sure. Like Hoot and you could say they're incorporating their elements into this into the songs, but they're still like kind of they're still kind of part of the hardcore scene. They're still obviously influenced by by the you know what was happening. So the group started to put together this album, and the idea was to to concentrate more on songcraft and to kind of tone it down. They just didn't want to like. They're tied to like every song being fast and every song being loud and noisy and stuff like that. Yeah. So this album is more like there's piano on it. There's just more. There's just more st- st- song structure. There's a little bit more room for the band to 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 more music to breathe. I guess I should say. I mean, it's it's still it's still immature. You know, there's a song on it called "Gary's Got a Boner." So you know, right. you're not you know that they haven't like they're still fun. They're still like a bunch of goofballs. Yeah, but you know, they're also like kind of stretching it out. And they called the album Let It Be, which is kind of poking fun. This song, Mr. Whirly, and calling the album, their the third album, Let It Be, which of course is sac, you know, like sacrilege. In, when you think about it, the, when they, in 84, you know, people are still like, I mean, people still love the Beatles now, but when you, if you're alive in 84, people were like crazy about the 60s still. And, the, you know, and so this idea, like, you know, when I was a kid, like, it was usually like either Let It Be, or not, sorry, not Let It Be, is was either uh, Stairway to Heaven or Hey Jude would be like the top song of all time right. every year. So yeah. you just knew, like, they're just like, you know, these were like the they're gods or whatever. Essentially untouchable. That's right. So so Peter Jesperson, their manager, was a, a huge Beatles fan. And so they were kind of teasing him by calling the album Let It Be. But at the same time, it also has a it also has like a a purpose to it and that it demytholo- demythologizes the Beatles. Yeah. For a generation that didn't want to have, you know, didn't want to be connected to that time like Right. You know, I remember want to build
0: your own identity, right? Sure,
1: sure. And when, you know, people of course know I love the Beatles, but when I was a teenager you? Yeah. When I was a teenager, like late teenager, not and when I was in like grade eight and nine, I loved the Beatles, but you know, I rejected all that stuff when I yeah. became like a fan of punk rock and new wave and stuff like that. Like I just, I didn't throw literally throw away, but I threw out my interest in those, mm-hmm. in those groups, you know, like I stopped listening to my Led's Up and Records and I, and I stopped listening to Motorhead and stuff. I just, and Iron Maiden and things that I had listened to when I was uh, in my teens or my, you know, early teens. And I started to you know explore this new music that you know was everyone excited about and it was kind of this this demarcation you know it's kind of like um when uh, the clash said their generational cry of no of no elvis beatles or rolling stones in 1977 you know so this idea that you know even though Joe Stürmer who said this was a guy from the 60s you know and that that was his generation yeah. you know he's making this mark for our generation of like, we're going to re we're going to restart this whole thing. And we're just, it's year zero. We're not going to be beholden to any other groups. We're not, going to be, we're not going to be playing, you know, lame riffs based on stuff that the Beatles did and stuff like yeah. that. We're going to create something brand new. So-called. Anyway, we're also going to cover, you know, I fought the law by uh, Bobby Fuller, but anyway, that's fine. You know, so they had that element to it. And I think, that, you know, I no, don't, I don't think bands do these things intentionally. I think they're just part of the zeitgeist. You know, and so they're reflecting that, and so the, the the album reflects that in its name. It has a great cover of the group sitting on the on the roof, kind of like on the on a lower kind of roof of the of the Stinsons' mom and dad's house. Okay. So they're just like kind of like there's a window, like a dormer window behind them, and they're just kind of sitting on the roof, and you know, as themselves wearing yeah. their sneakers. You yeah, know.
0: it's a good it's a good album cover.
1: Yeah, it's a great album cover. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's just really evocative of like a bunch of guys, that kind of gang element Mm -hmm. of the band. You really get that sense of it. And then the album also does what all great rock music has to do, Mary. And I think this, I was thinking about this when I was, when I, when I came up with (laughs) this blanket statement, when I said this, when I was writing the notes, is that like what kills rock music, like what kills the essence of rock music is when the rock writers forget what it's like to be a teenager. Because that's the essence of rock and roll is as being a teenager: the ennui, the despair, the melodrama, the heightened emotion, the fact that when your girlfriend breaks up with you, you're going to die; the fact that when your boyfriend breaks up with you, you want him to die; the fact, you know, all the feelings and all the and all and all the out, you know, all that that, you know, whatever, all those things that are happening inside you, that's hormonal.
0: Explosion. Explosion,
1: yeah. Uh-huh. you The music should reflect that, you know, and so this album, even though it's being written by a guy who's now in his 20s, he's reflecting back on himself as a, as a teenager, mm-hmm. and so you get songs like... Well, Sixteen Blue, which is so great, you know, like, you know, drive the, my mom to the bank, you know, just stuff like that. It's these really boring tasks that you would do as a, as a teenager, you know, like, you got to learn to drive, so you better drive your mom to the bank, you yeah. know, just stuff like that. Or like
0: Thirteen by Big Star. Sure, another example right? Right? Like of a song. Right, walking, like walking home from school together, Yeah, you yeah. know, and that's like the height yeah. of your romantic relationship.
1: But also, you're, you know, you're going to tell this girl's dad... Uh, where to get off, you know, like, he's yeah. hes not going to push us around. We're going to yeah. tell him. We're going to
0: tell him how much we love rock and roll. It's here to stay.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just stuff like that, that, you know, it's very innocent, but also very, very uh, telling of it, that emotional state, yeah. you know. And I think when groups forget that and they start writing about their bank account and how, you know, how sad it is to be divorced, it kind of loses its its essence of rock music, you know, yeah. it becomes something that, it, it becomes something different. I mean, different. I think
0: that that, is that commonly comes with fame and wealth. Yeah. Is sort of... That l-
1: disconnection. Yeah,
0: you're disconnected from your from your fans, yeah. right? Like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't always happen, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, it's pretty common.
1: So on, on Let It Be, you get 16 Blue, like I said. You get Unsatisfied, which is a piano ballad. You get Answering Machine... You know this kind of cry to a to technology, but you know trying to speak to someone through their technology. I will dare, of course. Mm-hmm. And then favorite thing as well. And then you get songs that kind of that's sort of a part of like the scene of the time. Like Gary's got a boner and and um, stuff like that. But I also get like I say because the the band the, so the rejection of hardcore was a rejection of the lie. And I remember this as like as a when I was going through this too. and I you know I was doing a fancy when I was a teenager. You know, I wasn't like super huge punk rock guy. Like, I mean, I was part of the scene because I was doing a fanzine, and that and that's where that's where the scenes kind of existed, where the fanzines thrived. So you were kind of part of that scene, but I was never really like a big fan of the music because I'm not really a big fan of like noise that much, um, or at least lumpen sort of noise. That and it, I was like you know, kind of split. Like, I like R.E.M., I like the Smiths, I like Prefab's Sprout, I like this really poppy music. You know, that's what I really admired or what I really enjo- enjoyed. And so I was kind of split between this idea of like, yeah, Black Flag is super important, but oh my God, they're boring to <laughs> so watch, you know? So, yeah. and then the fact that you know, people would say to you, "Man, there's no rules to what we're doing," and you're like, "Yeah, there are tons of rules to what you're doing. Yeah, there's rules to what you can play. There's rules how you dress. There's rules how you act. There's rules. It's all about rules. You know, like everything is about rules. But you know, like let's at least be reasonable in how mm-hmm. we apply them so that, you know, a group like the replacements aren't being accused of aren't accused of being sellouts Yeah. And
0: yeah, because like there's yeah, because people need art just because they're artists doesn't mean they don't need to eat and pay rent, <laughs> right?
1: And then. So, on this Let It Be, there's all, they do a Kiss cover. They cover Black Diamond by Kiss from their first album, Kiss, from 1974. And so, you know they're covering it, not, not in an ironic way. They're covering it because they like it. Because that's what they listen to when they're growing up, was Kiss. And so, they play this song. And so, that was like a real... But at the time, that was a real, like, aesthetic, like... Hard, like a really interesting decision, because you were aligning yourself to '70s music, which at that time was verboten. You know, there's just no way that you were supposed to be playing it. And the Mats had this alternate playlist that they would they would play at shows where if they felt like the audience was was like too too punk, you know what I mean, like too too punk, too punky, right? Or was too full of suits who were there like for a showcase show, right? They would do this alternate setlist, was basically all covers but they would never finish them because they would also get like too drunk to really play very well. Yeah. So so they'd be like, you know, do like half of Misty Mountain Hop or part of, you know, Iron Man and, and stuff like that. Right. So it, um, there's a tape, a tape only release that a friend of mine bought when we were teenagers called, uh, it was called Shit Hits the Fans. And it was, a, it was kind of a live recording of one of these shows that uh, Replacements did that was put out by Twin Tone Records. It was an official release, but it was only rele- available on cassette. My friend bought it, so there was no point in me buying it, because I could listen to his, of course. Anyway, replacements, they're great. I highly recommend people listen to, if you haven't heard it, l- listen to the album Let It Be by them, and, and be prepared to be amazed. It's so good. So very, very good. Okay, let's go down to our, is this only our third song?
0: <laughs> yep. I'm talking for... We are yakkers. An hour and a half. <laughs> I can't
1: believe it. I can't believe it. Us talk... All right, I promise I'm not going to say anything else for the rest of the show.
0: That's unlikely. Okay, Dad, what's our next song? Uh-oh. It's going to get even longer. <laughs> All right, charades. <laughs> okay. How many letters? How many words? Two words. First word. First word. Ear.
1: Rhymes with. Sounds like, I should say.
0: Oh, sounds that's, like that's ear. Like, that's a charade clue. Oh, so, oh sounds I've, like... I've not played charades. Sounds like, okay. Sounds like ear. Walk. Ear Walk. Ewok, ewok. It's a Star Wars thing. Finger. Oh, I
1: was trying to say deer. Sounds like ear. Oh. Deer. Ewok does not sound like ear. No, but you went walk. I'm <laughs> not trying to show like an animal walking. Sounds like ear, but it's an animal.
0: Okay. It's a deer. It's not. Does it look like an anteater? Well, I can't stand up and do
1: antlers and stuff like that. I'm got a headphones on. <laughs> All right. So this is. Uh... Oh, okay. So we got deer, right?
0: Yep. Second, second word. Clock. Time. Oh, Mary. Sounds like throwing up. Yelling.
1: <laughs> anyway, everyone, this is Deer Tick. Oh my daughter.
0: Oh. <laughs> Wait, what were you doing? What do you mean? With the second one you were doing. I'm trying to show I was sick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds okay. like sick. Okay.
1: You you weren't you weren't helping me there.
0: Nope, (laughs) not played trades in a while.
1: I have to say, or ever. If 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 if, if we ever play a game, I will be like Mary should play on the other team. I think because we're just (laughs) too good together. Too good together, everyone. We'll just wipe you guys, wipe the floor. So Mary, you should go on the other team. I'm
0: sick. (laughs) I have a headache. <laughs> tick. Deer Tick, I got it.
1: <laughs> Hooray. So this is Deer Tick, everyone. This is a song is called Twenty Miles and it's from their album The Black Dirt Sessions. And it came out in 2010. So here we go. <laughs> Do I have a question for you? Probably. And that question is, you ready?
0: Three words. No, just okay. <laughs> that question is, what did you think
1: of Deer Tick? <laughs> oh, deer Tick.
0: Oh, Deer tick. <laughs> That's like six words, Dad. I know. I was. Uh, <laughs> just around. Then I have to do Deer Tick again. I don't know how that would go. Um, I liked the instruments a lot. Yeah. But the singing felt kind of off. Okay. Like the music was very like soft, and yeah. his voice was kind of harsh. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. And I thought that was like kind of. Oh, weird. That's
1: what I kind his, of liked about it.
0: His voice kind of sounded like he should be singing like sea shanties, <laughs> you know? He has, weird, he
1: has a weirdly rough voice, and you're kind of, yeah. when you hear him singing, you're like, how can you sing like that? Like, yeah. doesn't that hurt your voice? But I guess not. I guess it's not. Or maybe it does hurt its voice. I guess what, they're one of those bands that put on an album every five years. That maybe has to recover his voice every.
0: Yeah, maybe. takes
1: him five years. Like, ten. All right, guys.
0: All right, guys. Time for the next album. Here we go.
1: Well, I'm. <laughs> what? Well, yeah, I quite like it. Um, the album is okay. This is like a real highlight of the, of the album. But I have played a song by them before, so I'm not going to talk about them because we talked about them in the past. Also, they're a pretty new band and there's not, not a lot to say about right. them. But I think I played them a while back when I was going on about saxophones becoming really popular again in, in okay. music. And by the way, still on that still on that uh, that, uh, w- that uh, w- fan wagon, everyone. Band wagon? Fan wagon. Everyone, I'm still on that band Black wagon. That
0: wagon full of fans. Sounds like... You know the old thing where they bring the wagon over? You know, it's like when they have the milk <laughs> delivery truck, Yes. but then they had one that was a wagon. They were just delivering fans just to all the like houses.
1: Fans. Yeah. <laughs> Electric fan. Here comes the fan wagon.
0: <laughs> doodle, do, do, you know those things do, that you do, need do, regularly? Do,
1: you hear in the distance. It's familiar chiming.
0: Yes. Doodle, doodle, do, 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 do. <laughs> it's the fan wagon.
1: Mom, mom, can I get a fan? All right, so we'll go to the next song there. Because like I said, I don't have a ton yeah. to say about about. I mean, we've uh, talked about them before, we played them before, everyone, if you, want, if you want to hear about them, go listen to that show. It's sometime in the past, and don't ask me when.
0: Just look it up on the website. I guess
1: I guess you could put it in search, Yep, and it would come up that way, wouldn't it? Yep, it would. I should do that. There's
0: a search function on the website.
1: Yeah, it's uh, handy.
0: Okay, so let's listen to
1: the next band, everyone. This band's called Stained Glass, and the song is called My Buddy Sin, uh, it was a RCA record single, backed with Vanity Fair. It came out in 1966. And Mare, on yes. on the cover for this, the cover that I did, I mis- I miswrote the band's name. I wrote them as, I wrote Stained Miles, because like I guess I still had 20 miles from the song in front of... Uh, before it in my mind. And okay. So instead of writing stained glass, I wrote stained a mile. So mm-hmm. everyone, it's still there. I'm not going to change it because it's, it's, a, it's, it's etched forever. So no point f- fixing it. But, um, uh,
0: and if you would like to listen to um, some information about dear tech and yeah. hear another song by them, you yeah. can go back to um, episode 22. Wow. Which came out in August, 2019.
1: Holy cow. We've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. hmm Okay. So let's listen to my buddy sin from, uh, Stained glass everybody, here we
5: go. I go to the street and the cripple yell fly.
2: And no one has done with Ooh.
1: We're back, Mary. Do you have any deep thoughts about my buddy Sin?
0: Yeah, I liked it. It was a good song. Yeah. Uh, '60s, you said? Oh yes. Yeah, it was very '60s. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it had a harmonica in it. Is that right? It Did yes. I liked yes. it. Yeah,
1: a harmonica, kind of a feature of the band for, for a number of songs, actually. So they came out of San Jose, so they're part of the Bay Area, as you as they call that part of of the world. You know, Oakland, Marin County. San Jose they all kind of make up a few the other San places San Francisco part Berkeley, of well, San Francisco, yeah, that's kind of like the the center of the bay Area, yeah. for sure, so yeah, they're part of the kind of San Francisco scene, which is you know one of those scenes that were like amazingly fertile, you know, and I, and I guess it was there was like a huge amount of dance. Like dances that happened in that area, not just school okay. dances, but there were like church hall dances. There were like the ballrooms, like the Avalon and and the Fillmore. You know, the fa- those are the famous ones, anyway. But there's was also like the Longshoreman's Hall and places like that that would put on like these bands and put on like shows and stuff like that. And so there was all this opportunity, right? You know, and if you if you have like opportunity, you will you will fill. You will fill that that space with with talent, you know, yep. because there's always people who want to do this stuff. But it, yeah, if it's totally. impossible to do, then they can't do it. But if you have this opportunity for them, then you you'll have this burgeoning of art, artistic uh, expression, you know. Yep. So the stained glass started as a group called the Trolls. They would, they, you know, they're more like a garage rock kind of a band. And
0: oh yeah, sorry. Can I just say here? Sure. It says the core cities your San Jose, San Francisco, and Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it has like a um nine counties around that sure alameda
1: Mar- Marin, Marin
0: napa san mateo contra costa santa clara solano sonoma and san francisco okay um and then they've got yeah like berkeley you said yeah um and like a whole bunch of other other ones san yeah mateo. it's a sort
1: of it's a sort of, you know like th- those ones like Marin county and berkeley and stuff like that like you know f- 50 years ago they would have been more remote from San Francisco yeah. than they are now. Yes. Like, you know, it's just a case of where su- the suburbs have like, you know, connected everything together. But in the past, those places would have been separated from San Francisco by farmland and stuff like that. And now that farmland's all gone, it's all been turned into housing tracks. Mm-hmm. And so those places are more connected than they would have been in the past. But but yeah, so the originally, like, yeah, San, San Jose, which is still quite a distance from, from San Francisco. I don't know if you remember, we went to Winchester House there.
0: Yes, I do remember when we went to, visit to win San Francisco. And it
1: was a fair drive to get there and back again, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember. You know, not terrible, but, you know, like a 20-minute, half-an-hour drive, you know. Yeah. It's not like a – it's not like – not a walk. But there is, like, the BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transit, mm-hmm. right, that, co- that takes you to those places as well. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, and it is, like, quite a sort of – I mean, now, now – very much now, a wealthy – area yeah. but also like oh yeah an area that is has a lot of like education mm-hmm. and like technological advances because oh, it's got like sure. stanford and uc berkeley mm-hmm. um yeah and yeah. that's
1: partly why silicon valley grew there because it had stanford as, yes. as like a, a feeder place and mm-hmm. i remember going there when i went to ape in 1994 there was this comic book shop and they had this mac computer in, in the store and it was partly open and it had a bunch of like had like the ribbon uh wiring coming out of it okay and I was like, what's here what's this? Yeah. Like, what's going on here? And the guy's like, oh, this was a prototype of the new Mac. Right. That one of the guys at Apple had created as a possible next computer for, for the Macintosh. Yeah. But they rejected it in favor of another one. And he got so mad, he quit the company and he just gave us this computer. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Mm. It's a good story, too. Yeah, it is. So I've never forgotten it, Mary, even mm. though that was a long time ago. The year, year you were born.
0: Wow. Long time,
5: ago.
1: <laughs> long time ago i was yeah i was going to say so like if you were in san francisco proper mm-hmm. at that time like 66 your music would have been very much a, a folk music sound right that would have been the sound of san francisco the sound of the surrounding part of like, the environs around of the bay area mm-hmm. garage rock Oh, okay. That's what you would have heard, like if you'd gone like out so like a band like The Count Five, you know, Psychotic Reaction. They yes. were they were a Bay Area band as oh, well. Okay. So they're like a suburban band, you know, Garage Rock. And that's what Garage Rock was. It was kids playing in their mom and dad's garage. And that's where the name came from. So the suburbs, you know, you can make a bunch of racket in in your parents' garage and then you may get a band out of it if you're lucky. And so the Trolls released a single called Walkin' Shoes. In 1966, and that brought them to the attention of RCA, who signed them that year. It was RCA, actually, who changed the name of the band from The Trolls to Stained Glass. And, you know, it was 1966, so they wanted to, like, have a name that reflected the changing times more. And so, Beatles had put out Revolver, Psychedelia was in the air, and so, you know, it wasn't cool anymore to have a band named... The trolls. You wanted to have a name that was cool. not not aggressive. You wanted a name that was, yeah. you know, all about something beautiful and artistic. Yeah, or not whatever. about something
0: like ugly and.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're stained glass.
0: Yeah, you're not something that hides yeah. under a bridge and. <laughs> yeah.
1: Molest goats.
0: Yeah, or like you know, something that lives in Central Park. Yeah, this is all about <laughs> the troll in Central Park.
1: Is that an animated movie? Uh huh. Oh, okay. It
0: but- came out like way later though. It was <laughs> like a, what was that guy's name? don bluth yeah oh okay it's a don bluth
1: Hmm. his movies are always okay
0: yes it was it was a very okay movie (laughs) i liked it because i was a kid and i didn't know any better yeah yeah but i'm not gonna say it was good on reflection yeah yeah
1: so they released a few albums through rca or a few singles through rca but despite some local success like they you know they sold in san jose because that's where they were from and so san jose radio stations played them uh they didn't really find much success outside of the bay area uh, and so in 1968, they, the band moved to Capitol Records, releasing two albums for the label. One was called Crazy Horse Roads, and that came out in 68. And then in 69, they released an album called Aurora. And then the band did the usual thing, and they kind of like faded out, you know. Yeah. Uh, what's curious is that when I was reading the, the Wikipedia page, which felt like it was written by a member of the band, <laughs> which a lot of them do. Yes. It said that one of the band members was a full-timer and lived in a, and just drove around the United States in a motorhome. Hmm. <laughs> and i don't know what a full timer is so it's kind of weird another yeah, we guy should, we
0: should know that we just watched nomadland
1: yeah that's right another another band member became a air force pilot and then was a flight instructor for delta airlines which i thought was like an interesting change of you know to go from being like a rock and roll musician to becoming a air force pilot but i guess once you quit the band you get drafted so so or once that was a possibility at the time of course if you weren't going to university you were you were up for draft or college um so I thought I'd play the song Walkin' Shoes by the Trolls. But you know what, Mary, I was going to say that the harmonica part, you're going to hear a lot of harmonica in the next song in Walkin' Shoes. But also they did a they their first song they released by RCA and RCA wanted them to release this was a cover of the um um the Beatles song by George Harrison If I Needed Someone. And it has a prominent harmonica in there, which is like a reflection of of the group, the Bo Brummel's, I believe. Or was it, yeah, Bo Brummel's or Stop, Stop With Camel? One of those bands, anyway, one of those San Francisco bands with the song uh, Laugh Laugh, which I'm pretty sure was the Bo Brummel's. I'm going to say it was the Bo Brummel's. The song Laugh Laugh, which had, like, a prominence harmonica in it and so that you know also was part of the san francisco sound because hey someone had hit with that song we can too get out the harmonica dave so um let's listen to walk and Shoes by the trolls though this is um a little more garagey but not super garagey it's it's actually quite melodic so let's give it a let's give it a hear
6: Than my moon matches with the streetlights, cold and dim. I put on my walking shoe. In the milk plain that all seems strange. The people here don't cry. But the they ain't got no walking shoe, The might as well let down. Drip along with me, don't wait. Get yourself some walking shoe Don't believe that it's too late.
1: Hi, and we're back. Ready? Click that song? So kind of bob in your head that, Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was a lot of fun actually. Real kind of uh, more uh, closer to like the folk rock sound of uh, San Francisco than to the yes. to the garage rock sound that you would have found in other areas. But, but quite nice, nice little harmonica there as well. So yeah, real good stuff. Anyway, so let's uh let's leave the trolls and stained glass behind, and let's move on to a British band called the Cortinas, and this song came out in 1968, Mary, and and anyone who is Anyone who enjoyed my tack piano top 5 plus 1 that we did last last episode. Yes. I think it's going to enjoy this song. This is very much in the Toy Town psych, the Toy Town psych sound, very much in that uh, in that genre. In fact, I was so tempted to put this song on my top 5 cuz I, oh. I like it so much, but I knew it was going to come up on this mix so I I didn't.
0: Yeah. Sorry, can I quickly just say I looked up full timers yeah. and according to RV Hyphen dot com. Yeah. Um full timers are people who R V full time, but I guess it's just like a term that they use, yeah. right? Yeah. Um so yeah, this is like, currently there are thousands upon thousands of full-timers on the road. Some people report over a million. Though statistics show that the majority of them are retired couples over the age of 50. The demographics are changing rap- rapidly. Mm-hmm. Singles, couples, and families of all ages and income levels are giving up their traditional lifestyles to hit the road. Many full-timers have been RVers or campers for years before going full-time, but more and more people are becoming full-timers with no RV experience whatsoever, like us. So I guess it's not like... People who have an RV mm-hmm. and use it for vacation. It's people who like live in it full time. Yeah. Like yeah. in Nomad Land, right? Yeah. 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 Hmm.
1: Interesting. All right. So, uh, Mary, are you ready for the Cortinas? And yes. The song is called Phoebe's Flower Shop. Of course, it's spelled Shop P because that's Twee. And it came out as a single in 1968 on Polydor e. Records. So, let's, Paul E. Dor Records. So, let's give it a listen, everyone. Here we go. What did you think of that
0: um well i thought sorry um i thought that the beginning of it sounded like a track from um a melody time short okay i don't know which one sure but it sounded like it reminded me of it Hmm. um but i liked it yeah i I thought it was good
1: yeah it's a lot of fun which (laughs) might be
0: because i like melody time but it was also i think a good song
1: well we had some confessions of prancing from the last last episode. Okay. And so I hope there was some prancing to this song as well. Hopefully. It's, it's a it's a very pranceable song. Um the Cortinas, which I think is a great name. There there's a car in England called the Ford Cortina, which was a car at this time period. And so I imagine that's where the name came from, I think anyway. They were founded in Hatfield, Hertfordshire. And Mary, as you know, if you if you go to the north in England you have to go to Hatfield. It's it's required apparently because of the sign. The sign says Hatfield and McCoy. and the North. It does not say the <laughs> Hatfield McCoys. Oh, okay. that's strictly an American sign. Right. If you're in America, it says Hatfield and the McCoys. Gotcha. Two arrows pointing in opposite directions. Right. But in the in, in England, when you're on the motorway on the M1, it says Hatfield and the North. It's a very blanket statement. You know, it's just kind of like Hatfield and then a direction. So, so they formed there in 1963 by a Beatles obsessive named Paul Griggs. Who formed the band with his brother Nigel? And they would remain the core of the band f- for all the change that occurred to it. They were like kind of the mainstays. After playing, you know, local gigs in youth centers and working men's clubs, occasionally going into London to work, to, you know, use the demo studios or entering beat group contests. So they did that for quite a while. And then in 1966, the band came to the attention of an as- aspiring producer named Mike Swain. And Swain had a song called In the Park which he thought was a surefire hit. And so he recorded in the park, and then a Nigel Griggs song called Sagittarius at his own studio in, in this town called Hitchin, but wasn't able to uh, drum up any interest from the label. So so that kind of ended there. But the band was, was emboldened by this experience. So emboldened, they decided, you know what? We're going to stop being amateur musicians. We're going to turn pro. And so they turned pro. And the first thing that happened was their drummer quit. 'Cause he's like, Well, I'm not certain about this whole pro thing. I, I have a job and I don't wanna quit it, so I'm I'm leaving the band. So they're like, You go ahead, we'll get a new drummer. So they got a new drummer. By going pro, it just meant that they could play in the daytime. <laughs> That's basically what it meant. They didn't actually like get more gigs or whatever. Like they didn't their 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 you know, reputation didn't suddenly skyrocket. They were yeah. still like struggling. But they were playing at, at London's Lyceum Ballroom. I hope, I don't know how that's pronounced, but I, that's how I pronounce it in my head. So that's how I pronounce it when I speak it. Lyceum Ballroom uh, in 1967. And the group was spotted by this producer, songwriter named Graham D, who worked for Polydor Records. And he said, you guys are really good. I've got a couple of songs that I've written and I'd really like you to play them. And so they went into the studio and they did two songs written by D. One was the song we heard, Phoebe's Flower Shop. And the B-side, Too Much In Love. And then they recorded it, but despite some despite some airplay on radio, it didn't sell very well. Oh. Uh-huh. And so, by this time, it was 1968. And so, the band decided that it was time to make changes, to reflect the changing times. And so, they retired the name, the Cortinas. Right. And they became Octopus. Okay. And so, it was as Octopus they were playing, still playing live. They met a bassist named Tony Murray... And a drummer named Nigel Olson, who played in this band at that time called Plastic Penny. Nigel Olson would go on to become Elton John's drummer. That's how I knew him before. I, like, when I was reading this, I went, oh, Nigel Olson. Oh, cool. Huh. And so, now, Olson and Murray were assigned to D- Dick James' music, like Elton John was. Right. And so, that's probably how Nigel Olson became the drummer. They were both kind of, you know, Dick James was probably like, well, Nigel plays drums, so put him in your band, Elton. Come on. But Murray and Ol- Olson offered to produce the group. And they eventually produced a single with two songs written by Tony Murray and Plastic Penny's vocalist, Paul Raymond. But the single went nowhere. And let me just say, deservedly, it's not a very good single. However, the Murray connection paid off when Murray, now a member of the Trogs, was able to interest Larry Page. Not the Trolls. Not the Trolls. The Trogs, short for Troglodytes, which is kind of like Trolls. But he was able to interest Larry Page, who was the manager of the Trogs, and also the owner of a of a new record label called Penny Farthing records, who we've mentioned before with other bands. So he talked them into signing octopus to the label. So the group started recording and they put out a single called girlfriend and back with a song called laugh at the poor man. Girlfriend's a really good song by the way, but it wasn't a success. But despite that fact, unlike in the past in the early, you know, the mid sixties, early, mid six, early to mid sixties, when your single didn't do well, that was it. Your career was over at this point. The album was king. And so, even though their single didn't do very well, they were still making an album. They still made an album. And so, they continued to record. But in the midst of recording the album, the band's drummer, actually the band's third drummer by this point, quit to join another band with a promise and a chance of an American tour. And so, he left. And then the band's longtime rhythm guitarist also left at this time.
0: Oh, wow. I was going to say, it's always the drummers, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's the drummers. (laughs) So... The Greeks Brothers, of course, are like we're in the middle of recording like an an album, so they're like, let's get a new player. So they got it. So so uh, they got a new drummer, mm-hmm. and then they brought in instead of bringing in a rhythm guitarist, they brought in an organ player, and so they kind of changed their sound a little bit. So they they kind of toured around through nineteen seventy, kind of got together as a band, and then they went back in the studio and continued recording. They put it in another single called The River, which is a quite a good song. And it's in a lot of, like, psychedelic collections. If you have, right. like, the rubble collection, it's in there. But it's an, it's a, it's a kind of a standby for, for psychedelia, for especially late 70s, kind of hard hard rock and psychedelia. It went top 10 in Italy, huh. which is pretty good. So, yeah. they were pretty excited by that. So, they thought, you know, but once again, in England, though, the record didn't really sell very well. But they did put out the album. But unfortunately, it has, like, one of the world's worst covers. Oh. It's like a painting of this of this octopus woman it's really corny
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then the it was a gatefold sleeve so the band's like cool we're gonna be featured in a gatefold sleeve in our album this will be awesome like the beatles on sergeant pepper yeah you'll fold it open there'll be like this picture of all four of us this will be great yeah no we're gonna put a painting of this octopus woman laying reclined on the ground huh. uh it's gonna be really fantastic guys it's gonna look great
0: sounds not great. It wasn't great. No. And then
1: the distribution for the album was also terrible. So even in pockets where the band was really popular, like, say, Nottingham, they still had to, like, people who were fans there still had to order the album in. They couldn't just go to the record store and find That's it, you know? That's silly. What's, so the,
0: what's even the point of making an album, then? Yeah, exactly. I never understand that. Like, you're investing all this money yeah. into them making the album. Yeah. Like, why, why are you not giving them all the opportunity that they can to it's make ne- that money back. It's
1: not necessarily the fault of the record label. Yeah. It could just be the fact that because they're a small label, they're relying on other me- means of distributing their albums. Right. So they might they might have a deal with a bigger company to distribute the albums. But unfortunately to that bigger company, your little record label has very little importance right, right? Yeah. and so you find your records aren't really getting the best the best mm-hmm. distribution and so it's, it's always a battle i mean your real hope is that you're gonna have like a big hit out of a group yes it's like irresistible and, and on radio and becomes a big smash yeah and then you know you can build from that mm-hmm. but unfortunately octopus has never really like hit it big that way you know mm-hmm. um so like i say despite despite some interest in europe the band just really couldn't uh couldn't Keep keep it going, like the momentum just started to, to to go. They limped on for a short time and then they broke up uh and they went their own ways. They went on to play another bands, so most interestingly to me is the fact that the their fourth drummer, this guy named Martin Green, and Nigel Griggs, the bassist in in the group, they eventually joined new zealand's split ends, who were like this kind of really popular new wave band when I was a youngster. Uh, They joined them in 1976 and 1978, respectively. So I think when Green joined his drummer, he probably recommended Nigel Griggs because they were played together as a rhythm section. So he's like, well, I know a really good guy. He should get him in. So I thought I'd play a song by Octopus just because i have been playing songs by these groups (laughs) that are kind of different and stuff like that. So this is them. So we've heard them as Phoebe's Flower Shop, the Cortinas. So let's listen to them now as a more kind of, you know, progressive rock kind of sound. Uh, This is... A song called Rainchild from their self-titled album, Octopus, which was released in 1971. Let's give this song a listen, everybody. Did you think of uh, Rainchild? It's pretty good, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was fun. It was fun.
1: Nice little song.
0: Better song than the uh, than the album cover. <laughs> yes, the album
1: cover is terrible. I'll try and remember to put to uh, post an image of that on the uh, website because everyone, it's awful.
0: You might need to blur it a little bit or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really terrible. All right, well, let's go on to our our next song from the actual mixtape, Mary. Enough of this me playing songs in our mixtape. What am I, I doing? What am I thinking? This is Sufjan Stevens. What? So I know that Mary's gonna like this song. Everyone, this is a song from "Enjoy Your Rabbit." Um, no, I'm just joking.
0: <laughs>
1: this is a song from "Bizarrely Silver and Gold: Songs yes. for Christmas, Volume Six yep. to Ten, 2012." Why, why are you not nodding your head? Yep. Just kind of weird that I would put Christmas songs yeah. on this. Uh, I know I did it before. I did "Barcarola." You must be a Christmas yes. tree as well. But I don't feel like that song is like has a big Christmassy element to no, it. No, that's
0: fair. I think both of these, if you didn't know that they were Christmas songs, you'd just be like, well, that's just what a Sufjan song sounds exactly, like.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I put them on. Like. But
0: when we were listening to it, Eve did say, is this a Christmas song? So <laughs> she knew.
1: <laughs> she she picked it up. Good for her. But well. it
0: might have also just been because she didn't recognize it. Mm, mm.
1: Whereas. Yeah. Yeah. That's possible. Okay. So let's listen to Sufjan Stevens with, this is a Christmas song, everyone. And I think you'll agree this is a Christmassy title, Justice Delivers Its Death. So this is from 2012, everyone. Here we go. And so that was from Sufjan Stevens' loopy, heartfelt, contrarian, fractious celebration Mm -hmm. of Christmas, Yes. Silver and Gold Songs for Christmas, which stretches in all kinds of different directions, some of them pleasant, some of them unpleasant. Yes. But That song, I think, is a beautiful, beautiful song. What do you think of it, Mare?
0: Um, I love that song. Yes. Although, when it started, I was like, this is Sufjan. Mm Mm-hmm. But I couldn't place the song.
1: Isn't it funny? This song came out in two thousand. Was actually done in two thousand and ten. Okay. But it sounds like such a Carrion Lowell era song. Yeah. It really like this yeah. the sound of the guitars and stuff like that really
0: mm.
1: like it's almost like a warm up for that album. Right. Because that album is like a lot different than Age, Age of Odds, which he had yeah. just completed. Well, this when, w- when this would students. have
0: probably been. Um...
1: From uh, you think all of people? Yeah, time
0: all delayed people. But even
1: are... that doesn't quite sound like, yeah, no, like Carrie and Lowell. So it's it's just really yeah. strange that it's such a such a weird warm up for it. it has like the guitar sound mm-hmm. and that really like finger pick but almost yeah. harp like sound yeah. that Carrie and Lowell has really really is on this song as well. And I guess he must have liked like that sound and, and incorporated it into Carrie and Lowell. But uh, yeah, I just love the I just love this song so much. It's uh, great. It's really
0: good. Great yeah.
1: uh, meditation on, on life and death.
0: But yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the later Christmas albums of his as much. Like the I probably later... know
1: this better than I know the, the early one. The early one. Yeah, really? I prefer. I prefer the, the. I prefer the second disc.
0: Interesting. I prefer the section. first one. It's more classic.
1: I just find it a little anodyne and not very interesting.
0: It's Christmas songs. Yeah. Not really supposed to be super interesting, yeah. but I do like his I like, like I mix want... of traditional and new ones. I mean,
1: I'll admit, I don't really like, like with a later one, I'm not like a huge fan of like his like electronic stuff or when he sings like, do you hear what I hear with a vocoder and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not super into that. that. But I I, I like the song, like the original songs
0: on Silver and Gold. I think they're
1: better than the the original songs Mm -hmm. on the first Christmas collection. That's
0: fair.
1: So it's 58 songs spread over five discs. Okay. So nominally recorded between 2006 and 2010. Yep. But Christmas Infinity voyage he actually re-recorded between 2011 and 2012. Okay. for this for this collection. He just wasn't very happy with with the sound of those songs, so he he redid them all. Right. I think kind of incorporating what he'd learned during Age of Odds.
0: Yeah. To... Well, and I think I think something important to remember about the first box set,
1: uh-oh, someone's defending the box set here.
0: is that he made that to send to his friends and family So was this as one? Christmas presents. So was this
1: These songs Yes, for sure. but
0: for this one, he knew he was going to release it.
1: Yes, I think that's true. Where he had more true. of an idea, right? Yeah, Whereas yeah. the first
0: one, it was like, this is a Christmas present for my friends and family. Yeah. I like music. I like, you know, and you can sort of see, you can mm-hmm. sort of track it. Yeah. Where he starts to, like, write more of his own original stuff. Yeah. Um Whereas I think when he got to this one, he knew that he was probably going, like most likely true, going yeah. to. Yeah. Whereas for the first one, when he first started doing them, I doubt he was like, Oh, like I eventually I'll, you know, do this enough and then I can put them out. Right. It was just like, Oh, like here's like six song- songs, songs yeah. that I'm putting together. And like, you know, and then it was, you know, well received. I imagine and he did it again the next year and then it became a tradition. Yeah. Um, whereas for this one, he sort of, he, I imagine planned it out a bit more right like it's or at least possible. knew it's, that figured I mean, that he was going to release it
1: it doesn't feel that planned out i mean no, it no, feels no. pretty it still has like a real weird element i mean a cover of prince's alphabet street on a christmas thing yes. is kind of no
0: totally yeah. but yeah i think that it's more i just think that it's different i think that that's a difference between yeah, it yeah. right
1: for sure for sure
0: whereas like yeah when you're saying like the ones that are original might be a little bit more well thought out mm-hmm. or like more interesting
2: maybe be because it wasn't yeah
0: yeah they were like written for p- public release sure as opposed to just like for his friends and family partly that it was I like, think, here's a funny song about an elf dance
1: i think partly that and i think also it's not aiming to please as much so a song like the boy with a star in his head or child with a star in his head yeah you know with its 15 minute long electronic coda is not trying to you know is it meant like a Hey everyone!
0: Let's put this on on Christmas morning and listen to it. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is more.
1: This is more like. This is what I'm where I am this right now. This is challenging. This is this is my diary of Christmas. You yes. know, and, and This is
0: this is where I'm at. This is how yeah. I'm feeling about Christmas right now. It's not the joy that I had in previous years because of <laughs> what I'm going through personally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. It. So, Justice Delivers Its Death is interesting because it's it's not entirely an original song. Okay. So there's a Johnny Marks song called Silver and Gold, mm-hmm. which uh Sufjan kind of like what he did with all Delighted people where he repurposed Paul Simon's uh, sounds of silence or sound of silence into the song he does that this as well he takes right. silver and gold by Johnny Marks who al- also wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer because he was the brother-in-law of the guy who wrote the original story okay marks also wrote silver and gold for the the television uh, production of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He wrote the songs for that as well. Cool. So Silver and Gold was sung by Burrow Lives in that. Yeah. And so Silver and Gold, of course, is one of the lines in the song. And then also, but also, what value uh, do we place on on Earth? Or what, you remember know, that line in this? I can't remember the exact line now. I, I always think, I'll remember that lyric.
0: Why would I think
1: that? Because I can never <laughs> remember anything. But
0: Is that in the Sufjan or in the original?
1: It's in both versions, yeah. If you look up Silver and Gold, the Johnny Marks one, you'll find. You'll find, like in the very first verse of the song, it asks, um, "What value do we place on? What value do we place here on earth? Uh, silver and gold," and the, which um, then Sufian reworks that into asking questions about aging and and death and stuff.
0: Oh yeah, like that. he says. So silver and gold, silver and gold. Everyone wishes for silver and gold. How do you measure its worth? Yeah, just by the pleasure it gives here on earth.
1: Which Sufian uses as a part of of. Silver, his ver- version of Silver and Gold, which doesn't really track in terms of the rest of the lyrics. The Johnny Marks version doesn't sing about aging and death and, yeah. and things like that. You know? Well,
0: yeah, the, it, this is just two stanzas or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But the next one is Silver and Gold, Silver and Gold means, means so much more when I see silver and gold decorations on every Christmas tree. Yeah. So his is more like...
1: I mean, it's still a comment on the idea of us having this like attaching
0: are, an in, like an intrinsic value to something that yeah. is like kind of random.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then the idea of of it the value of it truly being in its aesthetic pleasure yeah. of seeing it in, in, as use as decoration. Yes. Rather than used as a way to oppress people or Yeah, or like the
0: joy, yeah. the joy should like gold and silver mm-hmm. what we get from it should not be. Yeah. Like money or jealousy, but should be joy in seeing it used
6: yeah,
0: yeah. At, on a Christmas tree, yeah. right? For something that is like joyful or mm-hmm. that should be inherently joyful, yeah, right? Like yeah. Christmas time, time of celebration, time of coming together with family and friends. Sure.
1: And so, Sofian has taken that concept and it sort of reworked it a little bit. So, he's he is asking these questions of, oh, I'm getting old and, you know, so the value that we place on things, like value we place on youth, the value we place on riches you know, these are all questions that that we have. That the song asks. You know, and what value those things have on on Earth. It's a very beautiful song, anyway. How I love it! All right, are you ready for our next song? Yes. Okay, so this is uh, an Irish band called Loudest Whisper. It's comes from their their 1974 album Children of Lear, and the song is called Silent Omoil. Now, it actually wasn't on the album itself. I should t- say that before. Okay. It made it sound like it was on the album. It was actually a demo track on the re-release of the album so it wasn't actually on the original album version but when it was reissued on cd this song was included as a demo or as a you know as a bonus track which is why cds are so great but anyway so let's give a listen to loudest whisper everyone here is silent O'Moyle.
0: what year is this right
1: 74 okay Did you have a, any thoughts about this song?
0: Um, I thought it had very, 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 like beachy vibes. Beachy? Yeah.
1: Like a beach song?
0: Yeah. Sounded like a Jimmy Buffett song.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know Jimmy Buffett very well. You don't well. know Jimmy Buffett songs? No. You don't know, I mean, I know Cheeseburger
0: in Paradise? I don't know that one. No, Cheeseburger in Paradise. No, I don't know it. You don't know that one?
1: <laughs> no, I know Margaritaville or whatever it's called. Okay.
0: But that's Not as good that... as Cheeseburger in Paradise. <laughs>
1: You know, I really do like cheeseburgers, so I'm I'm really happy to know that they're in heaven.
0: Yes, That's, well, in paradise. I
1: thought that was heaven. I
0: think it's um, I think if you ask Jimmy Buffett, it's probably Florida, <laughs> <The> Florida Keys.
1: <laughs> so, but what did you think? Or perhaps on a sailboat. So you th- thought this song sounded like it was a beach song.
0: Uh huh. Beach baby, beach baby, give me. A
1: little... Okay, so then, um, what else do you think of it?
0: I was okay. It was okay. You thought it was okay. Yeah.
1: I would kind of agree with you when I was listening to this again after you know not not hearing it for four years. Yeah this was done in 2017 this mixtape i thought this is an interesting story i'm like of two minds about this song the reason it's on here is i i do love like f- women singing folk music <laughs> that's one thing i do love and i really 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 like at the end of the song when the singer is uh doubling her voice and okay. so you get that doubled yeah. voice that's not quite matching each other but both singing together that's what puts a song over the top for me the negative to the song is the very, very raucous—if I can use that old, old term from when I was a youth—the very raucous um, guitar solo in the song, which is a little too, like, a little too uh, pat 1960s, you know, blues uh, textbook guitar, you know, guitar solo. So I'm not really like a huge fan of that part of it. It's okay, but it's not great. But I really love the voices of the women. That's what put the song over for me. And I, you know, I was just looking for something that was a little different sounding for this part of the for this part of the CD, and that's why the song is on there. But it actually has like a very interesting provenance. So the group, Loudest Whisper, were like I said, they're from Ireland. They were they started as kind of like a folk rock band, but but really they they started as a group called the Wizards, and they were a cover band. They played like the Beatles, the Hollies spencer davis group stuff like that and then they kind of as they um as the 60s were on they kind of em- eventually embraced like the heavier sounds of like Jimi hendrix and cream and stuff like that and then so they kind of like when they change they changed the name from the wizards to loudest whisper because loudest whisper was like supposed to like indicate the two elements of the band so like the whisper of folk rock have their folk you know the irish folk origins of the group or elements of the group, and then the, the loudest whisper, the, the, the heavy kind of rock sounds as well. Now, its folky elements were from their guitarist-vocalist, this guy named Br- Brian O'Reilly, who was really influenced by American groups like the Love and Spoonful and the Mamas and the Papas. That's where he really liked. And so he was the group's primary songwriter. And in the early 70s, O'Reilly began exploring Irish folklore. And so in 1972, he composed a musical based on the legend of the Children of Lear, so, the story of the Children of Lear, the, the story involves a guy named King Lear. Now, does that name sound familiar to you? If Shakespeare, King Lear? As in Shakespeare might have borrowed this name for his story, which doesn't really have anything to do with the Irish legend, but I feel like he might have drawn the name oh, from okay. this from this story. Because in the King Lear, the story, the Irish legend, he has four children with a with a wife whom he loves, but she dies when she gives birth to their twins. Hmm. And so, he remarries the daughter of another... A daughter, like the remarries the sister, I should say, of the of the woman who died, of his wife who died, and so. But this woman become is jealous of the children. Yeah. And so she decides she's going to kill them. Okay. And so she takes them to this place, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: where she orders her underlings to kill the children, but they refuse to do so. Right. And so got some,
0: got some Snow White and the Huntsman there.
1: Yeah. And but instead of just a but as a slight twist to that. When they refuse to kill kill them she then transforms them into swans and curses them to spend 300 years at three different bodies of water
0: 300 years each or 300 years together
1: but okay. 300 years at each one so 300 years at this place right 300 years at the Strait of Moyle okay which is the a narrow band of water between Ireland and Scotland
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then 300 years out of another one so 900 years altogether right and then in the story they are Bef- these swans, are bef they also sing. They all they can do though is sing in their human voices. Okay. They sing these sad songs right. as these swans, and they're befriended by it by a monk. So I think this is a story that started off as like an Irish folklore and sort of Celtic and Celtic, um, you know, tradition. Mm-hmm. And then it was as time went on, it became it morphed slightly into including the Christian tradition as well. So in the story, they meet this monk who befriends them, mm-hmm. and when they are I can't remember exactly how it happens, but they are brought out of the spell is ended by someone, but they're now like 900 years old and are frail and dying. And so they are blessed by this Irish monk who yeah. blessed them and then they go on to, to the, to heaven or whatever. And so that's, that's the story. Hmm. It, so, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Just like a lot of legends yeah. <laughs> or bummers at that time, you know, the bummer was, was that they, they died, but they were, they died and then, then they died and were redeemed, though.
0: Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, there right. is that
1: happy element to yeah. people who be- believed in redemption. Mm-hmm. To our secular society, of course, death is a terrible thing just of itself, right? Yeah. To that time period, death was a part of life. Mm-hmm. What was important is that you got to travel on afterwards. Right. And so, this, you know, in this story, the monk presents an a p- opportunity for them to travel on in and, mm-hmm. and, and their next life, right? So, um, anyway, so O'Reilly – developed this stage play, the stage musical around this. And it it premiered in their town. They lived in this town called Fermoy in Ireland in in 1973. And then it became really popular and it was staged in other cities. And then the Irish division of Polydor Records signed the band and the group recorded a studio adaptation of the musical in 1974. Unfortunately, the UK arm of Polydor Records rejected the album. And so only 500 copies of it were made and sold in Ireland. And so, it has become one of the most sought-after records in Ireland. I just noticed that I wrote Orland, but I meant Ireland. And then, but it also ranks among among the top 100 most rare albums in the world. Yeah, huh. Because it was wow. only had 500 copies of right. this, you know, commercial record. So, like I was saying, Silent O'Moyle is not on the original album. So, it is a cover version of this Irish um, writer, poet, I don't want to call him a statesman, more of an activist, friend of Lord Byron, named Thomas Moore, who put out a, a, um, put out a book of songs in the 19th century called Irish Songs. And what he did was he took, he took, uh, kind of popular tunes of the day. So this song was based on a tune called Arrah, my dear Eveline. And he added new lyrics to it based on <coughs> the children of Lear. So, like I said, o, so the Strait of Moyle is where they played 300, where they stayed for 300 years. So the lyric is "silent." O, the actual t- full title of the song is "Silent O moyle Be the roar of, the, of thy water." The song of Fionula. Fina, Fionul, <laughs> Fionuala. I guess that's how you would pronounce her name. And she was one of the one of the children who were turned into a swan. The one there's three brothers and one sister. So I guess Moyle is a Narrow body of water, a corruption of the, of the word male, M A O L. And so moil okay. became like, but it's actually, it actually should be pronounced male. But of right. course it's a... anyway, so Moore wrote these lyrics to the song, which reference the children of Lear, but also symbolize Ireland's struggle for freedom from English rule. So his final verse in the song is Yet still in her darkness doth Aaron lie sleeping, still doth thy pure light its dawning delay. When will that day star, mildly springing, warmer isle with peace and love when shall heaven its sweet bell ringing call my spirit to the fields above and I have to confess I don't have the children of Lear I heard this song on a um on an album I bought called shifting sands 20 treasures from the heyday of underground folk which like if you put the words underground folk into a, a description of something yeah david will buy it so um it has a lot of good songs there but this was my, my favorite song but uh, i wanted to play the original version of thomas moore's song this is yeah. mary o'hara with her celtic harp playing uh from her album songs of ireland that came out in 1958 this any is any
0: relation to Catherine o'hara no oh okay
1: no. she does have a singing sister though Catherine o'hara does she a sister named mary margaret o'hara huh But this is not. This is is
0: that who I'm named after. Yes,
1: you're named after Mary Market O'Hara. Makes sense. So this is Mary O'Hara from 1958 with the song "Silent Omoil, Be Thy Roar of Thy Water." Here we go.
3: Break nutty breezes Your chain of bores While a murmuring mournfully Lears lonely daughter Tells to the night star a tale
1: So that was Mary O'Hara with "Silent O'Moyle," well. quite enjoyable as well. Kind yeah, of reminded super me, haunting. <laughs> kind of reminded me of our when we used to go to Kaylee's and uh, hear people singing.
0: Yeah, at, totally. Kaylee's,
1: yeah, very beautiful, uh, beautiful voice. And you said haunting. That's a good way to describe that as well. So there's two versions of that song for everyone. You can hear the folk rockin' version with its uh, with its '70s guitar solo, or you can listen to Mary O'Hara's version there, which is also very beautiful. Um Thomas Moore is interesting because um he's he is involved, Mary in one of the the great, what would I call it, one of the travesties or tragedies of uh, of literature, which was the destruction of Lord Byron's letters and journals by Lady Byron. Tom, Thomas Moore was basically the executor, the literary executor of Lord Byron's estate. but I guess he felt compelled when he was when it was demanded of him that he re- that he return Byron's letters to Lady Byron. And in his presence, they were torn up and thrown into a fireplace. Whoa! Um, all, all the, inf- all the stuff. And really unfortunate. He was blamed for a long time for this, but it wasn't his fault. I mean, I mean, it was his fault in a way that he capitulated to the demands of the family. But I think at the same time he felt, he felt, you know, s- you know, some, like they, t- they- some degree they- of loyalty to Byron, but also acknowledging that he. He himself couldn't really speak for the family, yeah. you know, and that and that her feelings were also important. And that mm-hmm. Lady Byron did not want the shocking revelations of her husband's life to be, you know, put no out there. to everyone. Yeah. yeah. And so they were destroyed. Now, Moore, that didn't stop Moore from, with the help of Mary Shelley, kind of finding a bunch of this information again. Yeah. And then putting out a life of Byron that was just as... As shocking yeah. and as you know, revelatory and you know, kind of damaging in terms of reputation mm-hmm. in its time, that was still pretty embarrassing to Lady Byron. So yeah. maybe he had a change of heart and decided that the truth was better than fiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, quite an interesting person, a, a Irish Republican and a uh, uh, interesting, interesting guy. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's move on from that to a bit of a little bit of fun. This is been oh, Dan, Dan Hicks because
0: it's been so boring. <laughs>
1: Has it really? No dan hicks and his hot licks from their i I want to call it their first album this is not truly their first album but i think i do kind of think of it as their first album this is from where's the money came out in 1971 and the song is is this my happy home let's give a listen to dan hicks and the, the
0: lickettes
7: Sky is blue And so am I And I don't love The reason why The things you say Have made me think I'm losing you Losing you The kitchen sink Is dirty The baby Has to burp Your hair is an awful maze It's been that way For days The little things You don't pick up Like a ringing telephone Has set my mind To wondering Is this my happy home And I do The reason why You're treating me this way and I do love the reason why The sky is blue and so am I And I don't love the reason why The things you say have made me think I'm losing you, losing you And dinner when there is one Has been the kind The dogs and cats play on the floor and then they do some more Your constant gift of gal This life that you condone has set my mind to wondering Is this my happy home And I don't know the reason why you're treating me this way and I don't know the reason why the sky is blue and so am I and I don't know the reason why the things you say have made me think I'm losing you losing
1: And we're back, Mare. Yes. Thoughts on Dan Hicks and his hot licks?
0: Um, I liked it.
1: I think it's a very, I you know, as a person who loves harmonies, I think the song really has some lovely harmonies in. Yes, the, in yeah, the singing. like the
0: those parts are so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he's like singing on his own. Yeah. I don't love it as much. It's yeah. a too like talk singing mm-hmm, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he wasn't the
1: strongest singer in the world. Yeah. For sure. For which, sure.
0: which definitely you can tell. Yeah. Because I feel like people who are often not super strong singers do that kind of talk singing style. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I know why they're doing it, but mm-hmm. it just doesn't sound as good, yeah, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's partly that. And it's also partly the style that he was, uh, what he was playing, which is kind yeah. of a, a kind of a swing, you know, with a, with a, with a bit of like that kind of jump, that kind of jump jive or whatever sound, you know, like songs from that. From that time period, you know, like Louis Jordan and people like that, a lot of those songs were kind of speak singing songs as well. Yeah, when when he's singing with uh, Naomi Eisenberg and Marianne Price were the name of the Lichets, and they have wonderful voices, and and uh, and it's just what's in like I if people when people were listening to this, I wonder if they realized it was live until we heard the applause at the end of the song because I cut out I cut out the introduction that he says oh, at the yeah. beginning of the song, and I'm often I often kind of thought to myself. But uh, I wonder why this album doesn't get like a more props for its wonderful live recording of a band. Like this was recorded at the Troubadour. Um, have you? Did you see Rocket Man?
0: Rocket Man? Yeah, yeah. I think I watched it like three times. Oh, okay. Duncan really liked it. Oh, okay. So, yeah,
1: that's, that's good. Yeah, I think it's really great. And there's that scene in the film where he he has his American debut at that club in L.A. and yes. he kind of like elevates up on the piano in the yeah. sequence. That's the Troubadour. That's oh, okay. the scene that it takes place in. And so that's where this was recorded. And I think Dan Hicks and the Hot Licks did an album before this one called, it was called, um, well, later it was released as Early Recordings. I don't think that's how it first came out, but anyway, I have it as Early Recordings. And then I have a later, a later CD, whoops, CD, um, reissue that adds more tracks to it called The Most of Dan Hicks and His Hot Licks. That's why CDs are great. But anyway, um, it has, uh, so that was like the first album that came out, but it, it didn't sell very well. It didn't, well. it didn't catch on. Okay. But I think that they really understood what to do with this one, which was have them in their environment, which is a live environment where, you know, Dan Hicks can do his, his dry wit introduction to all the songs and stuff like that. There's a part in the thing where he goes, I know you think it's easy to be up here singing, but it's not. It's really quite hard. Thank you. You know, just stuff like that, you know, yeah. just like these little jokes and stuff like that that he puts into songs. He, When he's introducing this song, he says, uh, this guy's kind of mad at his wife, da-da-da. And he goes, I'm, I guess I should say his old woman. Because <laughs> that was like the thing to say at that time. Yeah. You know, my old, or no, sorry, my old lady. I shouldn't say old woman. Old lady, you know, my, my old lady, da-da-da. You know, like, so that was like the the thing. It's just full of, full of that, you know. And so you get the thrill of them playing live. So you can feel like the breakneck when, especially when they're playing like faster songs like I Feel Like Singing or Where's the Money where you know like um, the uh, violin player whose name was gosh darn it I should remember this because he's so great. Why can't I remember his name? Bass player was Jamie Leopold. the Sid Page. Sid Page was the violinist and just so fantastic. you know. And he was actually the second violinist. The first one was a guy named David Laflame or Laflamme okay. who left the group to form It's a Beautiful Day. Huh. And then Sid Page came in but and lucky for, lucky for uh, Dan Hicks, because Sid Page is like this maestro of the, the, the violin. And when oh, you listen really? to him play, like there's parts where he does these wonderful like segues in and out of like solo into the song and stuff. they are yeah. just like masterpieces of, of 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 uh, violin playing or fiddle playing. That are so great and uh, yeah, just really good stuff, really fantastic. I'm gonna put a clip on the on the website of them singing live on the Flip Wilson show, and you can see like the repeal. At that time period, I mean, I'm I'm sure parents saw them or like, these damn hippies. But when they were playing, they're probably like, oh, these guys are really good. Because, you know, they were playing this old-fashioned music, but they were super popular at the time because they were entertaining. Yeah. You know, and like they were on Don Kirshner's rock concert and they Mm -hmm. were on Midnight Express and stuff. Is that what it's called? Midnight Express? No, not called Midnight Express. I'm thinking of the movie Midnight Express. I'm getting mixed up with Midnight Special.
0: Midnight Midnight Meat Train.
1: Not midnight meat train. Oh, thank you though. Thanks for your help.
0: No, you're you're welcome. Yeah,
1: no, I really appreciate it. Trying
0: to be helpful. Yeah, no, also. you were totally
1: helpful. I really appreciate yeah. it. But it wasn't what I was thinking of. But oh, thank okay. you anyway. I really appreciate yeah. that you threw that name randomly out there. Yeah, uh, you're midnight welcome. midnight special was like a, a concert mm-hmm. show, right? So it'd have live bands playing in in a, in a setting with a you know an audience, and then you know, but they would have like three or four different bands, you know. And it was a really good show because I was on reruns when I was a teenager, and I used to watch it all the time because it was like a great way to see. Bands, all kinds of different bands. They, they yeah. would have like Heart, mm-hmm. but they'd also have like LaBelle, you know, mm-hmm. and then they'd have like Dan Hicks and the Hot and Hot Licks, yeah, and then they would have whoever Aerosmith or whatever, you know, yeah. just like a good mix of interesting cool. stuff. Cool. But anyway,
0: all right. Did LaBelle do Lady Marmalade? They sure did. Yeah.
1: More importantly, they did night. They did Nightbirds.
0: Hmm.
1: I love that song. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's go into next song, Mary.
0: Okay, this is our last song. This for is not this our side? last
1: song. This is not our last song. This is the Go Betweens. Oh. With uh, "Draining the Pool for You" from their album Spring Hill Fair, that came out in 1984. Another album from 1984. I obviously was feeling feeling my youth when I was doing this album. I was like, you know what? I want to remember what it was like to graduate from high school. What a disappointing time. Huh. Anyway, let's listen to the Go Betweens. Everyone, here we go. Betweens. Back and Mary, let's just you were just we just talking while we we're listening to the last song. Yes. I hope everyone enjoyed the Gobatines. We'll just we'll get Mary's opinion yeah. in a second. So what happened? You got a little mixed up because well, this so is so Dad, the problem is the
0: problem is yeah that Dad burns the CD for me yeah. on just like a cheap CDR yeah um and I don't get the list like the names of the the songs or the artists. I
1: could send them to you, but there was some point where you decided that you didn't want me to send you the song titles. No, anymore. I never said that. You did. You said, oh, I kind of like to not know who they are. You said that to me one time, when I was like, "Oh, okay. I guess I won't send you the song because I'd be I'd happy to be would happily right. send you the song." Well, no,
0: I mean it's nice to have just so I can sort of attach yeah, yeah, it, right? Sure,
1: sure. Um, I'll do that from now on. Then I'm sorry. Okay, even though no, we are the end of the uh, whole that's thing.
0: That's okay. Um, so I and but then Dad, whenever I'm like, "Oh, are we on song number four? He's like, "I don't know." Um, so I just have numbers, right? Yeah, I just yeah. do like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, because that's what it says on my yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, in my car. Sure.
0: And so I got mixed up. I skipped a number. Oh, okay. And so I let's made. Go,
1: let's go back a little bit then.
0: The wrong comments in the past two songs. Okay, so three songs.
1: Go, that that makes sense. So let's go back. Okay. So we have um, "Silent Home Oil mm-hmm. by. Whatever they're called, loudest, uh, loudest whisper. Yeah. And what do you think of that song?
0: I thought that that was a sweet song. Okay. And I like her singing.
1: There we go. That's yeah. That makes, makes sense, sense.
0: now. That yeah. makes a
1: lot more sense. Yes. Than your beach comments and yeah. Jimmy and your Jimmy Buffett stuff. Yes. Which you meant to apply to Dan Hicks and yes, his yes, because he hot does lips. have
0: a very jimmy buffett beachy vibe kind of feel sure I like can... i would say that my cello yeah and like cheeseburger and paradise yeah. are quite similar songs
1: so you're saying that jimmy buffett was influenced quite a bit by dan hicks probably yeah, yeah yeah i'm sure that's the case
0: cool all right
1: and so now mary yes we are on song number nine which is the go-betweens
0: okay yes so and yeah, what's, what year did the song come out sorry 1984 that makes sense
1: Cause because because I, th-
0: I thought the song was very 80s. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it's got that spiky sound to it of that I like so much of that time period, with guitar bands. I love guitar bands from the 80s, everyone, because that's when that everyone just they really knew what they were doing. They Just like to play together, a lot of plinging and plonging, a lot of kind of angular notes, having some fun. What do you think of this song?
0: Uh, this song, I really like the chorus.
1: Mm-hmm. Draining the pool.
0: Or not like the chorus, but there was like times when. So this is this is the one that I thought that there was like too much talk singing.
1: Oh okay. Oh okay. Yeah.
0: Um. Mm, but then okay. there was parts when it was like a bit more, kind of like yeah. upbeat. Yeah. Which there was like a couple times I kind of assumed it was like a chorus, but maybe it wasn't.
1: Oh, I could see where you're. Yeah, I think it was a chorus where he gets into the. You know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. But I think I think there's a reason for that kind of talk singing and going into that is to kind of create a dynamic in the song. Right. So. But yeah. So you like the singing part of it, not so much mm-hmm. the talk singing, though.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I did think this song was a little bit too 80s, though.
1: There's no such thing as well, yes, but I don't think so.
0: I did Although, get I did get kind of Morrissey vibes with his singing sometimes.
1: I can see that because this song actually. That's interesting. You say that, Mayor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the Go Betweens, okay? Because they were from Australia, so I'm I'm happy that we finally. I don't think this is our first one of our first Australian songs, everyone. And I'm sorry, I am not super familiar with Australian music because. Australian music, kind of like Canadian music for Australian listeners, they probably doesn't travel too far, you know. Right. Like I'm sure they know who Neil Young is and a few other kind of big hit songs and stuff like that. But the the kind of underground stuff that I'm interested in doesn't really go very far. So I know bands like the Go Betweens and the Triffids and Midnight Oil and that, you know, but that's about it. You know, I'm not like super up on on Australian music, and I, I feel kind of bad bad about that. There's some bands that. I just couldn't like get into because it it just seemed like like hunters and collectors and stuff like that. I just I don't know their name was off putting for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so I never got into that music. But but yeah. So I knew about them. But I just you know it's hard. Sometimes it's hard too to find out about the groups because it's expensive by the records and if yep, you don't hear totally. them, you don't hear them. But the Go Betweens I heard and loved. So um so the band was formed by Robert Forster. And Grant McLennan, who met while at the University of Brisbane in nineteen seventy seven, while they were both taking a theater arts course. They were one of those Smarty Pants bands. Another reason I love bands from the eighties is they're Smarty Pants, you know. Right. Like bands like these guys, right? Yes. They they wanna be they wanna show off that they that they know stuff that you don't know. Yeah. They're gonna have Smarty Pants songs, you know. Their first single was called Lee Remick, named after the actress. They're gonna they named themselves after a classic novel by l P. Hartley called the Go Betweens that was published in nineteen fifty three so already there's there's the um the b side of *Lou remick is a song called Karen about a librarian, so you know like these guys are like- wearing their literary influences on their sleeves, yep. carrying their books in their under their arms with their mm-hmm. records in the other arms so yep. we we can see that they like the velvet underground and they know they're cool <laughs> um So uh, after they released two singles in Australia, they left Australia and decamped to the UK, where they plan to literally show up at record company offices and busk for them in the office to sell their songs Hmm. in the offices.
0: Seems like preposterous, a bad idea. Seems a little that would make yourself very hated. (laughs) It's like when (laughs) when boomers are like, "Oh, you should just call the office every day." After if like, if like after you send in your application, just call them every day. They'll love that. Like, no, they won't. <laughs> They're not going to like that. Like, every hiring person is like, every hiring manager is like, don't do that. We don't want you to do that.
1: <laughs> I don't think I've ever recommended that, but okay.
0: No, I, you haven't, but you're also not a baby boomer, so.
1: That's Jim Nutt. Yep. A year, year's difference. 1965 is the end of the boomers. Is it? Yeah.
0: So mom's a baby boomer?
1: Mom's a baby boomer. Oops. I
0: don't tell her that. <laughs> don't tell her that.
1: She doesn't want to hear it. In 1980, they returned to Brisbane, and they were there for, for a while, and they were joined by a drummer named Belinda, or Lindy, Morrison. Okay. They then released an album called Send Me a Lullaby in 1981. The original title of the album was Two Wimps and a Witch, but uh, Morrison nixed that idea, perhaps not liking the witch part of it, and she suggested Send Me a Lullaby, which was a, a line from a Zelda Gerald novel called Save Me the Waltz. And so... Uh, Once again, smarty pants. Then the group returned to England to record their second album, which was beca- called Before Hollywood, which was in 1983. And at that point, they added a bassist named Robert Vickers, which allowed Grant McLennan to kind of move to guitar, back to guitar and play a little bit more lead guitar. Now, Dreaming the Pool for You, which was written by Robert Forster, uh comes from the band's third album, which is called Spring Hill Fair was apparently quite an unhappy experience for the band. And this is where oh, okay. I think you can hear the 80s in this more than you should. Because this band isn't really like a classic 80s group, you know, with a gated snare and all that stuff. But yeah. when they did this album, their producer, whose name was John Brandt, who had produced their previous album before Hollywood, Brandt's manager. So the producer had a manager. This guy got a deal on a studio in France. So they they paid for a studio in France for a month,
2: hmm.
1: which was really expensive. Their most expensive album. And basically, they went there, they went to this uh, studio called Miraval Studios, and the band assumed they would just set up and play like they had before. Yeah. But oh no, John Brand was like, this is a real album now. We're going to get serious, you guys. We just can't do like a simple setup of you sitting around microphones playing. Ridiculous. What do you think this is? The 60s? Hmm. No, no. He had programmed rhythm tracks hmm. for the songs, for what half the songs for the album, which led to conflicts between him and Lindy Morrison, who of course was a drummer and was like, I don't want to... Pl- why are there rhythm tracks? I'm the drummer. And also she claimed that Bran put the moves on her at this point and she rejected him. And so he was mad at her. So he spent the entire first week trying to gate the drums. Okay. And set up a click track for her to play to. Right. So that his programmed rhythms would work. And then also relationships in the band had kind of soured as well. Everyone was fighting and trying to vie for Forster and McLennan were both vying for, Control of the group, right? And the thing was, Forster was didn't write as many songs as McLennan did. McLennan was yeah. like would write fifteen songs to Forster's five. Mm-hmm. But the albums were always evenly divided in songs, right? So McLennan I think, felt kind of stifled. Yeah, he wasn't getting all the songs that he wanted on mm-hmm. the albums. Forster, you know, wanted was kind of pushing his songs forward as being better, and and yeah. So the relationships were kind of soured a bit in that yeah, way yeah that
0: seems like not the best working environment for anyone involved
1: <laughs> <laughs> no no and then also to be in like a country where you don't speak the language and stuff yeah. like that so you create a situation where everyone's everyone's in each other's living in each other's pockets because they can't yeah you know uh, you
0: can't like be like okay I'm gonna just gonna like get out of here and make some some friends somewhere else yeah right like yeah uh.
1: and then um and then the other thing also oh, yeah the album was named Spring Hill Fair which apparently is a, a, a fair that took place in a, in a place called Spring Hill in Queensland, where Forster went to high school. So it was kind of named in sort of a, a bout of nostalgia. And the title also continues the trend that the band had, at first accidental, but then intentional, of their 80s album titles having a double L in the title. So they had Lullaby, Hollywood, Spring Hill, and it went on from there. They had L- uh, Tallulah. The only one that f- that um, didn't have that was 16 Lever's Lane, which still had two Ls in it, though, Lovers Lane. Hmm. but there you go i'm sorry you didn't like it a lot but it's a pretty good song i think just really like
0: i didn't say i speaks, didn't like it a
1: lot it speaks to me i just yeah. love i just love the i just like this the kind of snottiness of the voice and i just love the the whole idea of like draining the pool for you i don't even know what that means but it's yeah. just so evocative of something <laughs> it's just great <laughs> it's great all right so let's here's our last song everyone this is uh for this week anyway for this uh that's actually not her last song. I have one more song to play after this song. But don't tell Mary that. This is... Um,
0: hey, what? What was what? that? No, I didn't... Did you not say saying. No, not at all. Hmm.
1: I don't know what you hmm. talking about, Mary. Hmm. Don't tell her, everyone. Uh, so-, so this is Kate Le Bon, a singer whom I esteem greatly, perhaps love from afar, from her 2016 album Crab Day, Crab Day, C-R-A-B Day. The song is called What's Not Mine, and this song is Mary... Yes Bonkers Is it? It's bonkers I'm not gonna lie to you It's crazy And yet I love it And so let's listen Listen to <laughs> Crab Day Or not sorry Crab Day This is What's Not Mine From the album Crab Day This is Kate Lebon, And uh, the song is fantastic I love it so much Here we go <laughs> Sorry, I was just singing along with a guitar <laughs> solo at the end of the song. So, Mary, what do you think of uh, What's Not Mine by, uh, by Kate LeBond? Uh, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it great. was like
0: a long song, yeah. but I thought it was really interesting throughout. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird because it's a really simple song. Like The drums are just like, through <laughs> the whole song. It's very repetitive, obviously. It's repetitive in lyrics, repetitive in song structure. Mm-hmm. And then it has that crazy guitar solo at the end of the song. And it's just great. It's just great in every way. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Glad you enjoyed it. We've talked about Kate Le Bon in the past, so I'm not going to go too too much into her her oeuvre, but I will say that before she started working on Crab Day, the year before this, she worked with a guy named Tim Presley in a little group they put together called Drinks, all capital letters for some reason, and they put out an album called Hermits on Holidays. Kate Le Bon found doing that album with Presley really freeing because he worked in a different way than she had before. Like, before that time, she would carefully construct her lyrics, and then she would write the music for these lyrics. Okay. But Presley worked differently. He would put together the music, and then he would just apply the lyrics after that to to whatever he had created. Yeah. And he would allow the song structures to to kind of suggest what the lyrical content would be. And she found that really fascinating. And so when she came to do Crab Day, she just changed her working methods entirely and started, like, creating these little song structures that weren't even necessarily put... a uh, whole songs. She would just like create these little capsules, and then put them together into other songs, and then add the lyrics on afterwards. Quite often, after the the backing track had been recorded, then she di- then she actually sang the, the the lyrics for the song. So I think that's kind of interesting as well. So, so I thought I'd play Mary, it's her final song of the night. I thought I'd play a song from Drinks. Okay. From their 2015 album *Hermits on Holiday*. This this song is called.
0: I believe the song is called Shots.
1: No, I think and you're thinking... it goes thinking...
0: like this. Shots, 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 shots.
1: I think you're thinking of L M F A O L Y O L A N A N, which is different. Yes. This is drinks. Okay. Or if you prefer D-R-I-N-K-S.
0: Yes, I do prefer that. And... I like to spell everything out like I'm in a spelling bee.
1: <laughs> and the song is called Laying Down Rock. So here we go, everyone. <laughs> did you enjoy drinks
0: yes it was fun yeah
1: they have a lot of fun together those albums are real goof-offs there's a song called tim do i like this dog and it's uh it's just like ridiculous anyway is
0: it does she like the dog
1: i think she doesn't in the end
0: she does not no she
1: goes no i think that i think he says no at the end of the song (laughs) that's sad well you know it's not her dog it's not the dog that she likes Hmm. there's another dog
0: Hmm. i guess have you heard of that We Rate Dogs Twitter account? Yes. All they give all the dogs ratings like above ten. Yeah. They're all like twelve out of ten. Yep. It's good.
1: Yeah, I enjoy that too.
0: They're a good dogs, brand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So there we go, everyone. That was side one of Trevor Lynn's mixtape and well, we'll talk about this when we come back for the next episode, but I'm still gonna maintain that there's a certain element of bonkers to this uh this mixtape
0: i didn't hear it on this side okay but we'll see we've got however many songs we have coming
1: yes not as many well, i think there's was only 18 songs or 19 songs on this really disc. yeah huh. so mary yes last question yep how
0: am i doing i'm pretty good i'm feeling mm. a little sick today okay
1: why would people want to write to us and if they do uh-huh how would they do so
0: why would they want to well, you know. I honestly can't tell you. <laughs> if they do want to, for whatever reason, I wouldn't know. Um, they can go to our website, which is SneakyDragon.com. Sure. On there, you can find our Contact Us page, yep. which will take you to our Facebook page, That's Sneaky true. Dragon. Our Twitter, Sneaky underscore Dragon. Our email address, sne- SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. Mm-hmm. Um, our snail mail address. Yep. And on our website, SneakyDragon.com, mm-hmm. you can also um, like comment on sort of the message board for each individual episode and you can also read what other people are saying about the episode on there cool we'd love to hear from you
1: yes indeed it's always great to hear from people and i want to thank everyone who wrote in to tell me that you had been dancing and are prancing around to <laughs> ye old toffee shop uh from the last episode that's very very nice to hear and i we got lots of nice feedback about our top 5 songs as well and so that's a lot of fun those are fun shows to put together and if i was going to continue Listening party, that's definitely a format I would i would think about adopting. All right, Mayor. Yes? You know what I have to say? Good night. No, I was going to say I love you.
0: Oh, I love
1: you too. I think you're great. Thanks, you too. I always enjoy our time together. Me too. And we will do this in two weeks.
0: Sounds good. I have one thing to say. Oh, okay. Good night.